in a galaxy far, far away, there was a podcast that decided to talk about Star Wars. Mainly Star Wars involving Obi-Wan Kenobi because of the new Obi-Wan series coming out soon. So a group of people decided to get together and start talking about this wonderful movie franchise and this really cool character named Obi-Wan Kenobi, who we first saw played by Alan McInnes and then now currently being played by Ewan McGregor. But as always, first of all, my name is Will. You are listening to Conversations About Dot Dot Dot. And I'm not alone. Who's with me? Everybody, please introduce yourselves. Well, Will, you got you to gotta make sure to, to point out because we'll get confused as to who talks first. So I'll go ahead and talk first. Yay. <laughs> it's us, the Roscoe brothers here. I'm Jingles Roscoe. I'm Smider Roscoe. Uh, but we're not alone. We also brought our other uh, friend with us. Hello there. I'm Catherine Everything, and it's an absolute pleasure to be back in this universe. All right. And so. uh, for for the record, Will, it's Alec Guinness, not uh, Alec McGuinness. Oh, it is. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's one demerit right out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it's. Uh, I think you'll find that it was pronounced Alec Guinness. Oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll mix it up on Batman Beyond with my Star Wars a little bit. There. Terry McGinnis. Yeah, I'll yeah. have you look, man. You just happen to pick a subject, a topic today that is becoming dangerously close to being as studied as Tolkien. Almost studied. <laughs> yes, and luckily I we we brought. Uh, who I'd have to say is probably closest thing to an expert that I know personally, aside from, of course, Pie Man himself, mm-hmm. who brought Catherine. Well, thank you. Who was well knowledge and knows yeah. so much. And who has got to say, have an amazing time every Saturday going onto their podcast or onto their stream and just talking Star Wars and other nerdy stuff. Oh, yeah. By, by the way, I want, now that I actually have an opportunity to do this, I want to say thank you, Quaffron, for coming over to our streams oh, as well and checking out Jedi, the Jedi Order that fell over. It fell. It fell. <laughs> it just tipped over. Whoops. I'm sh- Even though the, the last uh, episode that we streamed hit you right in the Phil's organ. Oh, pretty good. It did. It did. I was unprepared for feels of that magnitude, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> we had no way of protecting ourselves from Our feels of that magnitude. Our shields cannot handle feels of that magnitude. It's a drop. It's a drop. <laughs> All right, so Talk shall about, we get... Like, like early memes going on with that one. Oh man, like, I I think it's a trap was probably star the first Star Wars meme, the primordial, the primordial Star Wars, Star Wars meme, meme. <laughs> the, the first of its kind, so easily forgotten. Yeah, definitely. So, so shall we talk about the Phantom Menace? It's funny. My nephew came out when we were, when I told him what we were talking about. I said, "Oh, we're going to be talking about the first episode of Star Wars." He's like, "Are you talking about episode one? Or are you talking about episode four? Because like that technically was the first. I said, "No, we're talking primarily episode one, the Phantom Menace, because we're talking about the start of Obi Wan's story as it relates to what we've been intro- what the commoners have been introduced to." Um, <laughs> as far as that goes, because Lord knows there's probably a whole lot more Obi-Wan story between Clone Wars and Expanded Universe and all that different stuff in the comic books <gasps> now and everything else. 
So does this mean, Will, that you're going to watch all of Clone Wars oh, now? He said he said it. He said he's going to watch Clone Wars. I Eventually, I I'm going to finish it. I did start it. I just didn't get too far into it. But I'm 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 going to I'm going to finish it at some point. Yes. Because you said it's important for to study the Obi Wan's. it's a it's important. Hey, look, man, if he's going to study the great mystery, he must understand <laughs> all of its aspects. <laughs> See, this is this is one of my favorite subjects that we do on these podcasts because it's just Star Wars quotes. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy. <laughs> All right. We, Jingles and I genuinely had, gave ourselves like a little challenge at the beginning of the film. Yeah, last night while we were watching. While we were watching it, we we're all like, how far do you think we could get quoting the movie before no. the quotes are out? <laughs> before we run out of quotes. Yeah. To our chagrin, we only got, like, out of the first act. Well, I think we Uh, stopped trying after a while because we were starting to then enjoy ourselves a lot. Yeah, yeah. Mystery Science Theater 3000-ing Star Wars for a minute. It'd be an interesting experience. If we could figure out how to all sit down on a screen and have our shadows in front of it or something. And just do our own commentary track on it. That'd be nutso because, like, that... At the risk of just writing it off as low hanging fruit, mm-hmm. I would be hard pressed to think of like how could I reinvent this? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be fun though. Oh, you know what? Just for flavor, I should have watched. I should have actually sat down and watched Mr. Plinkett's episode one review. That's mm. apparently like infamous. Yeah. Oh. By Red Letter Media. By correct? Red Letter Media, like the red like. Is this on YouTube group, uh, or is this like uh, on a separate? Yeah, like, it's on site. YouTube. Okay. And uh, Red Letter Media is a group of film critics um, who I, I personally feel like they're also pretty good comedians as well. They're, I think they're quite solid in the comedy department. Yeah, but they're gotcha. also really good at critical analysis of the things that they like and the things that they don't like. And if I remember correctly, I believe they're their little like one of their many uh analysis series called Mr. Plinkett is one where they tackled the Phantom Menace and I believe and if I remember correctly that was the one that basically made them really popular. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Definitely so. So let us yeah. begin speaking on the Phantom Menace. Uh, now, if I'm and 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 I'm just gonna go into a little bit of the movie's basically premise. We we start off in a in a in a trade dispute, trade route dispute. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and you're thinking, why would we be doing that? But then you see two hooded figures who look like they may be Jedi, and it's like, like oh, business is about to pick up, like like uh, good old Jr. would say. And so, um, you know. <laughs> We we uh we managed. To, yes, I know, I know. I caught it. Anyway, no, no, don't, so, don't, don't worry. Like it, that, this is how you double down. You make it related to what's going on. So basically, um, there's this there's this dispute going on, and we need a mediator. So oh, you know what? For the sake of for the sake of keeping your wrestling metaphor going, Will, think of it like wrestling court backstage with the Undertaker as the judge. Mm-hmm. And the Undertaker is coming in to see what this dispute is all about. Now, for us real Star Wars fans, a trade dispute is the most exciting thing that's going to be happening. 
Yeah. And so we get uh, our first glimpse of the great uh, precursor to Obi-Wan in Qui-Gon Jinn, played by the um, ever-lovable, one of those men's men, Mr. Liam Neeson. Himself. Oh, I wanted to make sure that he pronounced the name correctly before we. Oh, okay, <laughs> my bad, Mister, <laughs> um, Mister, Mister, um, the, the guy that uh, pretty much helped uh, po- catapult Key and Peele into a whole new place of transparent comedy because they did the Liam Neeson's um, jokes on their show. Right, because you know that all their other jokes were not nearly as good as that one. I'm talking about the popularity from the jokes being viral. Not so much that they weren't funny prior. It just helped catapult them to a new level. That's all I said. I think personally, (laughs) I think the East-West Bowl skit is what really set them on top. I was just going to say, like, I don't remember them actually bringing up Qui-Gon Jinn. They just kept talking about Taken. No, no, that Liam Neeson's though. Yeah, they just kept talking about uh, Taken and stuff. Taken, and what was the what was the one where he was on the airplane? He's like, I'm not trying to save the. I, I'm tr- I'm not trying to destroy this crew. I'm trying to save them. Yeah. The, anyway, I have so, no idea what that is. Passenger something. It's like some airplane thing. But anyway, so we see Qui Gon Jinn, and of course, Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan, and I love initially they established the fact that Obi Wan is a bit of a jokester. But he's never disrespectful toward his master. Like, he seems to be very much like, you know, like, like, Qui-Gon Jinn is pretty much telling me, you know, to don't be so focused on anything outside of you. Focus on now. He's basically like, well, but Master Yoda tells us to focus on the future. He's like, yeah, but don't miss the current situation either. You know, he's just like, yes, Master. You know, he's just very, you know, understanding. Are we going through the whole movie? I'm just talking about this particular point because I love how it establishes Obi-Wan. Excellent. Okay. Specifically. That because okay. again we're doing this kind of as a thing to the Obi Wan series, so I'm talking. I'm talking about key points that are involving Obi Wan. Uh, oh, no, but I know. I just yeah. it's just you, uh, for a second there. I thought you were going to go through the whole thing. Oh no, no. People can watch the movie. It's on Disney Plus. Go watch it. Go uh, watch the movie, people. <laughs> but go out there and watch the movie. I appreciate that. But then also, yeah, of course, the action kind of ratchets it up. But the droid. What? And I love the droids. I love the different droids we were getting that we hadn't gotten in prior movies. Oh, yes. So, some of the droids were really cool and different things like that. And it made me, actually, it's funny because it made me think a lot about the Boba, Book of Boba Fett because there were a lot of those droids that were kind of copied onto the Book of Boba Fett. So. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that first when they talk about, like I said, again, talk about Obi-Wan, the character as it relates to kind of how he is at the beginning of the, series, of the movie. And right, then, the, the uh, battle droids were in Book of Boba Fett? Uh, the battle droids were, there was a battle, the big battle droids that they fight near the end with the series oh, of shields. That the, was the, the original Scorpinac design. Yeah. The original Scorpion design for that Scorpion was Scorpion from, right. The original design for those were supposed to be used in Phantom Menace, Mm-mm. but they didn't use them. Oh, here wrong? it comes. <laughs> Am I wrong? Catherine, you know. Okay. Tell me. Talk. Yeah, I'll so shut up one, now. That one was uh, Attack of the Clones. Concept art, so you're close. I mean, we're definitely oh, in right. the Trade yeah. Federation, the Droid Army. You're in the right era, so like we're we're nitpicking yes. just because we love you. Um, yeah. The, oh, the Scorpion yes. Droid was based on more of the like the, the Hailfire Droids and stuff that we see in the Battle of uh, Geonosis. So okay, close, yes. close, close, close. Oh, technical term, but, but yeah. actually, With, no. <laughs> um, actually, <laughs> yes, it was concept art for episode two. Uh, Quaffron, if you could just grab yourself a pair of glasses and just push them push up, up the every bridge. time. All right, right, yeah. I don't care who you borrow. 
the glasses from. Just find a pair of glasses. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually have Star Wars glasses, so I can't even, like, pretend to be, like, ironic. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually nice. a uh, uh, glasses yeah. company called Diff, and they're, like, a charity organization, but they made a series oh. of uh, of uh, Star Wars frames for glasses, so we can be nerdy all the time. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's yes. wonderful. So I have my Princess Leia ones most of the time. Cool. Mostly. Mostly. Yes, so, I'll, do, I'll, I'll have to make the sound effect in my mind for like the anime glare that they would give. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so the droids were there, and I, it, and now that I know it was sort of episode two, not episode one. But uh, I feel like that one of the things that was cool were the droid designs and things like that. I love the droids that were kind of, they would roll in and then shield up and then just start shooting at folks. Like, I was like, I like that idea. I like that design. I was just like, that's so cool. Like, it makes sense, too. Like, let's have a let's let's have a droid that throws a shield up and it's just our shooting fools. Like, it's just that's it, that's kind of gangster to me. Like, I, I dig that. Yeah. But uh, then, of course, another favorite part of the movie is when during that, when you know, you see the um, protocol droid come out. He's all like, oh, she's all. Oh, it's all like I'm not sure what gender it would be. I just it could be based on the sound, but she, it's all like you know. Oh, excuse me, you know, and they're like Roger, Roger, and then the lightsabers light up, and it's just like, oh, it's bad now. It's about to be TC bad. fourteen. Yeah, it's about to be bad for y'all. <laughs> they just mow through them, and so you get so, to see really the prowess that Jedi have, like, you, you, like because because I know watching episode four. You're not really dealing with a young Obi Wan, so it's like, what would Jedi like before he before he aged? And so it's kind of that idea. You get to see younger, more spry versions of the Jedi in this. Oh, you absolutely. Know. So that was really cool to see. And of course, you know, it wasn't just the kicks and the jumps and the flips and stuff, but it was also the way they use the Force, like back the robots off, and in some cases, smash them against the walls so they break, or you know, their lightsaber thing. And then, of course, Qui Gon does the whole melt the door with the lightsaber, which I was like, is he using a force to do that, or is that just a natural property of a lightsaber? You know. I would assume that it is the, the laser sword <laughs> that is doing it. Well, yeah, but if he's using the force to do other things with it, that's what I was wondering. Like, like The closest he, thing I would equate that to is, hey, maybe he's using the force to not burn his hands. Yeah, because he's kind of sticking his hands right, right in that <laughs> molten metal. Oh, man. <laughs> no, it's okay. Was something that we noticed while we were watching. I was like, he's really getting his hands in there. Oh, yeah. As a kid, I didn't understand it. I was all like, oh, he's right. uh, he's going to just burn his way through there. That's so cool. And then they closed the extra door, and I was like, oh, okay, that's cheating. Yeah. They are still getting through. This is impossible. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, when I watched it today, I thought, wonder if he's using the force to, like, expand the... Because you notice, like, when they before they start closing the doors, it got short. Like, it couldn't go further from where he put it. Like, well, he so, wasn't also shoving the whole thing in there yeah. at that time either. So I just thought, I was like, what if he's extending it through the force somehow or making it longer? But then, like, you're right. I do remember he pushed it in further. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. And then they closed the extra he, blast. They closed the blast all doors. the way up in there. Just all the way up in there. got to get in there. Yeah. And so remember, they closed the second blast doors. Yep. And then they were like, yeah, we're super duper safe now. Those Jedi, like, uh, I, those Jedi have to be dead. 
Also, they're no match for Droidica. They are no match. Yeah. See, that's why they're all like, they have to be dead. They're like, okay, but they're in the ventilation <laughs> shaft. Yeah, but we really don't have to worry about them anymore. But they're in the ventilation shaft. Which means they're not dead. Yeah. And I love that. I love that, at least for me. And, and, and if it's not true, let me know. Uh, but I feel like we saw them do force run when they were like, we got to go. Mm-hmm. This is they did. <laughs> so I was telling Smiter as we were watching it, uh, because I've seen this movie a lot of times. A million, billion times. A million, billion times. Um, that as a kid, I did not notice them force run. Uh, back when I watched it when I was much younger, and it wasn't until I was older that I was like, oh, they force run right there. Mm-hmm. Look at that. It's just I think it's just because a lot of it is shot pretty evenly, mm-hmm. and there's already a lot of other special effects going on that mm-hmm. your eye is already sort of drawn to the explosions around them and not to them themselves. Right. I think that I I think that can be pretty common for people not to catch the first time through. And they don't even use it again later. True. Yeah, well, that's just par for the Star Wars course. Like Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Use a really cool thing once. Cool. One time. Hey, Obi-Wan, what's that what's that power that you used where you like made a sound off in the distance? <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. You you, you don't need to wor- worry about that, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> You but, know, people often say that uh, the best force power is the, is the force power you never have to use. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> I prefer the force power you only have to use once. <laughs> Are you insinuating that uh, Tony Stark is a Jedi? Oh my goodness, why? <laughs> <laughs> not at all what I was oh, suggesting, man. but sure. Ah, Tony, uh, uh, Tony Stark said that. Tony uh, Stark Star is a Wars Jedi. Jedi. And, uh, uh, the only reason he could build the Iron Man suit is because he must have Jedi reflexes. <laughs> M- midi-chlorians. Midi-chlorians. <laughs> I like to say it like it's kind of falling out of my mouth <laughs> as I'm slowly having a stroke. Midi-chlorians. Tony was only able to snap the Infinity Gauntlet because he had enough midichlorians to pull it off before he died. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. That must mean that Hulk has also got midichlorians because oh, he can do it too. he's also a Jedi. And so he's also a Jedi. It makes no, sense now. he had gamma radiation. <laughs> he can do it because of gamma base. Oh, so when we start saying ludicrous stuff, oh, okay. that's not it. <laughs> now all of a sudden, when all we of, do what we Will does, all of a sudden. <laughs> I you, you know what I noticed that I can't believe I didn't realize until rewatching it mm. was and you guys tell me if you feel the same way um that first act on the Trade Federation ship and mm-hmm. in those first parts of uh being on Naboo mm-hmm. are quick as hell they're really fast. It's such a brisk start to the film. And then once we get on Tatooine, we slow way down. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. that pod race scene is like 30 minutes plus on the clock. Like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I yeah, mean, they had to sell that video game, yo. I mean. No, it, yeah, because that was their whole was reasoning. Their whole <laughs> for because George <laughs> wanted to indulge himself. You're right. <laughs> The the only reason that they made the prequels is so that they could sell that Obi Wan game on Xbox. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> Did you Any guys of y'all know about check that? out that Obi Wan game on Xbox? Did you guys know, dude? I knew it's it so existed. Bad. I don't. It's I didn't so play bad. it. But I knew it existed. 
It's so bad. It's so weird. Can you find the cover for it? Yeah, let me but, find it really while works. I while I move on to the next point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to bring that up because I didn't like I mean everybody brings up sort of George's like directions that he gave the actors when it came to their to their characters and how it's always really flat, especially in Phantom Menace, where you end up getting these really really low energy performances on some pretty important dialogue or at least performances where it feels like somebody should be emoting more than they really are Mm -hmm. but one thing i didn't catch on is like until here until now it's like boy phantom menace has some really really weird pacing issues yeah and it feels Mm -hmm. like george's first sort of ideas or these set pieces that he really wanted to explore for the Phantom Menace, I feel like where the pod rate was was the Bunta classic mm-hmm. and Bunta Eve, baby. Bunta Eve, baby. <laughs> and the final duel with Obi-Wan Maul and Qui-Gon. And those feel, and I say that because they feel like they're the most fleshed out. Beyond just being long, the Bunta Classic tells almost a mini story within the greater context of the film. That's true. Because you have all sorts of different times where something goes wrong in the race. There, you actually get to see why the other racers lost the way that they did. You one racer had one of his pit droids get sucked up <laughs> in the engine. One racer just wasn't paying attention and made a funny little croaking sound right before he slammed into a stalactite. And uh, oh, what was the name of your boy, dude? Oh, Shit. Ben Quadraneros. Ben, that poor Ben Quadraneros just had a catastrophic engine failure. <laughs> Hashtag best boy, my favorite character. In the, was that the one the that was game. that the one that the deal like shoots up straight in the air and like breaks apart? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. He had the four engines. Yeah, the four. Which in- is why he was the coolest and the best, <laughs> and he totally would have won if he was allowed to race. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and it's interesting because not only do you have that, but you have three different times, like two different times where you see Sebulba cheating, scheming, and getting away with it before it's even a one-on-one with him and Anakin. True. Mm-hmm. And you see the multiple times where Anakin is using his wits and his ingenuity to overcome the situation. Ironically... He didn't use any of that Jedi advice that Qui-Gon gave him right beforehand, where he's all like, oh, hey, man, just, you know, feel with the Force. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll try. <laughs> and I guess he was feeling with the Force when, you know, he was figuring out to divert power from one, from both of his engines into one engine and then re-divert power back into, the, into both engines, which I mean could be a force power i don't think it is you could also say that when he was trying to get the deal with the magnet 
that he may have mm. used the force a bit to get it to like connect to the magnet because of how much gap there was beforehand, and then he closed was able to close the gap. You could say I'm not saying it's 100, percent but you could say he mm. used the force to close the gap between him and the magnet that because he couldn't quite reach it far enough for it to pull by itself. You know, I I mean I don't disagree that you could stretch it, but you yeah. could stretch that line of thinking all the way out there. For the sake of context, Qui-Gon basically just told him, you know, feel for the track and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like, just let your instincts take over. Versus... It was, it w- and because it's like poetry and rhymes, oh. it's <laughs> like what Obi-Wan said to Luke I about know. turning off his targeting computer. Yep. And which, you know what? If they would have provided a point in there where, you know, poor Anakin... Just had to trust his guts and his instincts to get overcome the last bit of the race. It would have brought it full circle, right. even tighter. When you would have had that beautiful but, John Williams, just like do 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 do, as he's like doing the thing, and then it would have been perfect. But you know, maybe yes. actually, the whole time you guys were talking, I was thinking, you know, what's really interesting is one of the core, I would argue, um, undercurrents of Episode One is actually the kind of the duel of the fates thing, and we've we've talked about it like just personally how like the duel of the fates mm-hmm. where it's the the battle between Qui Gon Obi Wan and Maul isn't it's much more than just that particular fight. But putting a pin in that for a second, what's interesting is uh, Obi Wan is not present. I mean, he's on Tatooine, he's on Tatooine, but he is not present for any of the discovering of Anakin for the Boon to Eve pod race. He's not there for any of that kind of initial like discovery and advice and arguably the initial yeah. shaping of Anakin. Yeah. Now we all know he goes on to, to train him, but going back to that, that duel of the fates thing where if you, if you are unfamiliar, uh, Dave Filoni, who of course has done magnificent things for the star Wars universe, including the clone wars and rebels and onto Mandalorian plus um he he once very famously was kind of quoted with a dissection of the duel of the fates being less about the players in that moment but really the fate of the galaxy who who was to train anakin who was to you know like whoever wins in that instance really shapes the entire galaxy as it is and if qui-gon had been the surviving thing this would have gone very much very differently um it wasn't really just the small stakes um of dark side versus light side it was really to who would have been the one training training Anakin. And so it's interesting when you look at, say, like, the Boon to Eve race, that was our really, tragically, only glimpse of what Qui-Gon as a teacher to Anakin would be. And he ends up pulling it off. Whether or not the advice hits, whether or not Anakin uses his powers, there's still, like, Anakin hadn't finished a race up to that point. All of a sudden, he was able to complete this entire race through all these technical difficulties, through Sebulba cheating, through all of this. So something changed. Something changed. I mean, yes, it's kind of silly for us Mm. as, like, functioning adults to Mm -hmm. just think that one line of dialogue by some, like, I guess you're my my mentor now, really changed him. But on the other hand, how many times have we as humans been swayed by one, you know, really good quote or some feels or whatever? So that is kind of that tragic kind of glimpse of what Anakin would have been capable of under Qui-Gon's tutelage. So mm-hmm. just a little sad feels there because Obi-Wan wasn't even involved in all of that. No, that's a great point. And yeah. uh, I've also heard that that conversation that Filoni had and that breakdown, which recontextualized a lot of things for me. And it makes sense for the guy that from the perspective of a lot of different people redefined and recontextualized the entire prequel trilogy Mm. thanks to the Clone Wars. I've heard different personal accounts of people saying that they 
personally believe that the entire prequel trilogy is just this self-indulgent mixed bag of occasionally good scenes and really terrible dialogue. And then they bring up the Clone Wars basically doing the heavy lifting of trying to make those moments bigger and stronger and more significant, which part of me is pretty inclined to agree with. Yeah. Hmm. I think that actually is, if if I may, that is a big Star Wars thing where... Star Wars is fun if you just kick back and watch it. But kind of where the mm-hmm. depth of Star Wars lies is doing your homework, is sitting back and going, oh my gosh, let's connect all the political dots. Let's connect all of the yeah. you know, the Jedi Masters to their Padawans, to the impacts to the war, especially when we got the Clone Wars. Because like, that was arguably almost a throwaway line in A New Hope when Obi-Wan's just like, here's a laser sword and your father and I fought in the Clone Wars. And we're like, okay, cool. That's great, Obi-Wan. You know, but like now we've got this entire horrifically tragic battle um, that now there's a million perspectives of. And like, even, you know, like y'all were playing Fallen Order, the video game where it's got, Hmm. it's got an Order 66 scene. Like now there's all these stories that keep tying in and tying in. Even, you know, Grogu gave us a uh, Order 66 flashback. And I know that's getting a little bit ahead of Phantom Menace, but it kind of goes Mm -hmm. back to like enriching it. And so it's like in a lot of ways, (laughs) it reminds me. And again, like being an, being an artist, being an art student, it reminds me of looking at like a really good painting and you're like, yeah, this, this painting's great. I, I can, I can vibe with the color scheme. I like the figures in it, but in, you know, and like everyone can walk into a museum, see the painting and be like, yeah, I see that has some skill. Cool. But it isn't until you really get into it and you start like analyzing like, oh, you know, this paint right here, this would have been made of this. And you know, the reason that this figure is posed this way is because of the, you know, the influences of such and such. And you start unraveling the layers, like, even with Star Wars, like we love to make fun of it and be like, yeah, it's fake, it's in space, it's wacky. But it's got a lot of undercurrents behind it that are made up of more than George Lucas. So like if George Lucas painted the painting, it's all of the like people that came before him, his like behind the scenes crew. It's all of the stuff that's mm-hmm. like woven behind it that I think makes the Star Wars universe why we keep coming back to this and why it's so rich. Like, you know, we gotta honor mm. Lucas. Like he 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 put it on the canvas. But there's a lot more behind the scenes, and I yeah. think that's where we have our fun. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's interesting. And Catherine, you might remember this. In fact, I'm almost betting that you do. Uh, There was this point where the greater context and greater lore of Star Wars before it really took off had only a few supplementary novelizations or even direct novelizations of certain events within the films. And it was really wasn't until, I believe, the Star Wars Encyclopedia came out and blew, the, blew everything else out of the water of world building. And it made Star Wars feel so much bigger. That's where we end up getting famous little memes of Count Dooku and his famous look of superiority. And we end up getting explanations of what kyber crystals are and what holocrons are and what the name of that one really pale lady up on the ridge during the pod race is. 
and oh, I can't I love remember. Oral sing too, but yes. <laughs> yeah, or thank you, thank you. Like when we were rewatching it, and they go past her, and all she's doing is just watching the race go down, and that's it. Right. And I, I, I wanted to joke with Jingles and say. Now, kids, remember, that's a special little toy we're going to use again later. <laughs> <laughs> She's one of the bounty hunters. <laughs> She's got a complicated yes. history because she was originally a dark acolyte under Dooku, but she is also a bounty hunter. But um, interestingly enough, they don't still truly know how to classify her because th- this is getting off track. But um, like in the yeah, Star this Wars, this is exactly game, my point. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> <laughs> Just to, to really drive that home, like even in the Lego Star yeah. Wars games, she doesn't have the special like bounty hunter abilities that some of the other characters do. But nor is she like perceived to be as like a force sensitive character and have force attributes. So it's like even within the canon, like she's just she's cool, but she's just there. Yeah. And it's like oh yeah. And <laughs> that really sweet set dressing that we like. Mm-hmm. We do love set dressing. Yeah, we do love that set dressing. And uh, when we were rewatching the film, Jingles pointed out look, that when Maul showed up, he was like, "Look at this character that was just made to look cool." <laughs> and yeah. I, I was I was making note that. Um, Darth Maul was essentially doing the same thing that Boba Fett did in the original trilogy. And that he was there, he looks super cool, doesn't have a lot to go for him, and then just kind of dies. Uh, and then it wasn't until later that they made him a real boy. Yeah. So, like, um, th- that's another example of just all, like, Star Wars just establishing some stuff and then not elaborating further and then leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think one of the things that's really interesting too. I remember people. I think it was, I think it was Time Magazine. Time Magazine had him on the cover of it. You know, it's one of the first times I'd seen. I had personally ever seen a Star Wars character on the cover of Time Magazine. But the question wasn't, "Look at this really cool character. It's awesome." It was something to do with like uh, George Lucas trying to make a Satanist <laughs> or something like that. Like something weird, that. like. That I'm just like, why? Like, what? Like, like, why? Why would you go that route with it? And because there were a bunch of people complaining that the character was very much um, a satanic looking character, but sure, by he's red design. and he's got horns, right? You know, mm-hmm. but uh, but I, I love the character design of Darth Maul, and like when you see him for the first time when they're talking to the trade people. You know, he's just standing there, kind of arms folded back, b-boy pose. Look like he's about to drop him and uh, Palpatine are about to drop the greatest diss track ever. You know, he's just sitting there <laughs> like there was arms folded. And I'm just sitting there going like, dude, I don't even know. I can't even see. Like the first time I watched it, it even reminded me of it when I saw it again. It's like, I don't even know how the rest of him looks or anything like that. Dude, he looks cool. Like just the face makeup on him. <laughs> Looks cool. Before we saw the horns, before we just him in that dark hood was just like he's intimidating. He is very, very intimidating. Like the look at his eyes, very intimidating. You know, and all that different stuff. So um, I was just like, dude, I just love it. Of course, Ray Park, just his mannerisms. Like he didn't say a whole lot. He didn't say a whole lot. He just was this dude who looked like he was always very fierce. Looked like when he came at you, he was coming at you till like you weren't there. Because when he fights Qui-Gon Jinn in the, in, this, in the desert, you know, he's going, he's going, he's going. And then when Qui-Gon Jinn jumps onto the ship, he got to stand there for a second. 
And then he like lets the lightsaber down. It's like, okay, I guess he's gone. I guess I don't have anything to fight right now. But we're gonna do this dance again. You know, it's just like, dude, it just looks really cool. And boy, did he look cool. He and boy, did. did he look cool. He looked so. I can't. Re I can't remember. I think this might be Pie Man who pointed that out because I. I remember one of our first episodes on the Mythos podcast. We talked about episode one, and we. I believe our good friend Pie Man was pointing out because as a kid, you you still haven't put two and two together yet. All you've really listed out is, oh man, well that was a cool little fight. That's a weird handle. And again, yeah. that's a special mm -hmm. little treat we're going to go back to later. Yes. Yeah. We didn't even notice how much longer the saber was. Saber yeah. hilt was. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had no idea, you know, and that's like, that scene still, like, the reveal still gives me chills. But yeah, that's the thing is like how many things they dropped on us that we had no idea. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, and uh, to go back to what Will was pointing out earlier about the, the just the visual and narrative treat of having a young Obi Wan. It's it's nice because straight up, that's one of the things that George wanted to explore was the jet, the golden age of the Jedi, mm -hmm. and. He wanted it to feel like almost a completely different kind of story with not only are there Jedi everywhere, but this this is easily probably the most politically and in terms of an organization, how like the most powerful that they've ever been oh, yeah. across the galaxy. And I... I I've always been sort of fascinated with a critical re-examination of the Jedi Order, not from a superfluous point of, let's say, throwing out the phrase, what if the Jedi Order was bad? Right. It's, it's more fascinating to me to examine it as, what if the Jedi Order was just misguided? Right. They still meant well. They still believed that their position in the galaxy was peacekeepers. Right. But we all saw how quickly the council dismissed Qui-Gon by just telling him, no, it wasn't a Sith. Right. Nah. No, there hasn't been one in a millennium. No, so they're there's all no extinct. Way, there's no way it could have possibly have been a Sith. And I said there was no there way. There was no way. There was, uh, I get, it's interesting to see Qui-Gon's frustrations with some of that. Right. And one of the things that I sort of like to go back and rethink about is Qui-Gon, without really getting in the face of the council, still clearly had a philosophy that opposed the council. Absolutely. His approach to being a Jedi was very grounded and approachable. Whereas the council has gotten way too used to separating themselves out from the rest of society that they've sworn to protect. Mm. And it's a fascinating conundrum that I always enjoy seeing other parts of Star Wars explore. Because I think 
I think somewhere along the way we lost track of what it means to explore a concept narratively with outright negatively criticizing it sure. mm -hmm. for for just being something that you don't necessarily agree with right. or being something that you feel like is dated or even backwards right. which is which makes me really happy that uh knights of the old republic <laughs> 2 exists because i always thought that that one was just so thoughtful of how they addressed the concept of the Jedi Order. Right. So, yeah, I was about to say, I was yeah. thinking of KOTOR yeah. like the entire time that you were talking there. Um, but if I may, yeah. I actually have a really sweet story to share about uh, episode yes. one. Um, so, okay, if you do not know, um, I have a five and a half year old daughter. We, we call her Little Sprout. And um, she... <laughs> is a nerd in her own right, but doesn't really like Star Wars. And it, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, I joke because it's like, oh, how could you? But it's also like, you know what? Nah, it's cool. Like, it's cool. We all have our different things. But the other day, the other day, she actually indulged me. And she watched, actually in preparation for this podcast, I was going to put it on, but she sat down and watched episode one with me. And I'm like, this mm -hmm. is it. This is my moment. Um, and it took, her, <laughs> it took her two parts. And big picture, ultimately, she wasn't converted instantly to a star wars fan she she came out of it with a very okay that was that was a movie but it wasn't until we were driving home so we're in the car and i wouldn't trade anything for the like conversations i have with my daughter um but she mm. we're talking about the movie and she's asking about characters and this that and the other and then she stops for a good long while and she goes mommy so why do you like star wars <gasps> oh wow okay well i guess this is the moment i've been building towards because how do i explain first off a lifetime love of this you know space opera the you know mm -hmm. and then how in, in in zero way of like condensating like uh not being condescending or not being patronizing but how do you explain it concisely to a five and a half year old right and so like with the full like I don't know, Nat 20 role of like, I don't know, persuading charisma, I pull out of my, my butt <laughs> that I like Star Wars because the characters, good, bad, or neutral, are put into positions where they didn't choose to save the galaxy or to wreck the galaxy. It's not how that's, that's not how they came to this. They're just there and they have to react to what the world is throwing at them. And uh, one of one of Little Sprout's favorite scenes was when Anakin's in the Naboo N1 Starfighter, and he flies to the droid control ship, and he's you know messing around with the uh, with the joysticks, and he hits the couple battle droids, and then he hits the other button, and it like shoots out those like proton bombs or whatever, and he ends up taking mm -hmm. out the whole ship. And Little Sprout's like, yeah, that's so cool. He didn't even, he didn't even mean to do that. And look, he like he won the <laughs> whole battle. Like the Gungans weren't even doing anything. He won that whole battle. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. Right? Like, first off, he did the, the whole tried, thing by himself. He did the whole thing no by himself, <laughs> which you could read as very ridiculous. But then I saw the mm -hmm. admiration in her eyes and, and in her voice, and it's like, you know what, though? That is Star Wars. That is the fact that, good, bad, or neutral, these characters' actions have such an impact beyond the initial intent. So he did mm -hmm. not mean to blow that up, but look at how it turned the tide of war. Look at how it changed the entire face of the galaxy. One person. 
one person. Mm-hmm. And that's how, like, when you start to look critically at Star Wars, most of the decisions were made by one or two people. You know, we've got Palpatine behind in the scenes. We've got Anakin just, like, out there changing the whole galaxy. Even when you look at, like, the Jedi Council, like, them just being disjointed and saying these things, they're not connected to the rest of the people that they govern. Shiva's just in it for, like, himself. But these are the people that are controlling the entire events of the galaxy, good, bad, and ugly. And, you know, you could get into the whole thing of how Star Wars really is a political commentary on, and a lens, a sci-fi lens on how we view the atrocities that humankind have done. But when you strip it back and just kind of go into that, like, you know, everything has a power and a ripple and an echo through the force, through the universe, through the everything, like, that is ultimately, I think, why I like Star Wars. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was really fun to explain to her, but, you know, also just kind of in thinking of, like, how do I explain that to a child, it made me kind of get back in touch with my inner child, and, like, I don't know exactly how old y'all were when when Phantom Menace came out. I was eight, so I was a little bit older than than Sprout is now, but there's something that, like, children... We, we see this, and even if we don't fully understand the political intricacies of it, like, we're, we're getting part of a bigger universe, and we're being allowed to be part of this thing. And if you've hung out on, on my stream at all, you know that I have this whole thing about, like, trusting children with lore and with backstory and with, you know, things that are deeper in these stories, because they might not get it at first, but it's going to click someday. And so even Phantom Menace, with its weird pacing and its build-up and its everything, like, there's a lot to dissect in there that I think didn't immediately come out on the surface. And so it, it was really fun to kind of have this opportunity to, to deep dive it again, you know. Aww. Yeah, and, awesome. and you had you got to have a moment with your daughter, which those are the things yeah. that you treasure. You know what I mean? Yes. So, yes, even if like, she never watches another one, just having that conversation, I'm like, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> you know, that's precious. I just did my parent. I just <laughs> rolled natural twenty in parenting. Exactly, I did it. <laughs> nice. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the thing. I know with my nephew, not Star Wars related. But my nephew and I, whenever we do talk, he still talks to me about Power Rangers. Now, he's in his late 20s, and he still loves Power Rangers. And I told him about the time I got to meet Jason David Frank Mm. in a con. He was just like, (laughs) you met the great Power Ranger? I'm like, yeah, he was at a convention, and da-da-da-da. And he was just like, no, Uncle, I need you, Will, Uncle Will, I need you to stop for two seconds and tell me again. And I was just like, I got to meet the Jason David Frank, the Green Power Ranger. You used to say, okay, I'm going to give the phone back to mom. Now, I don't want to hear about the rest of this because I will be jealous forever of you. And I don't want to, like, have that moment. Like, I don't want to be jealous of my uncle, but that was flipping cool. Like, he's like, you met the original Green Power Ranger, man. That's awesome. Like, he's one of my favorite Power Rangers. And so, like, it's just, it's just neat to have those moments with your family. And, yeah. you know, whether they're born to you or whether they're part of your family extended. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just neat to have those. So, yeah. But back to Star Wars. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting, too, when, and it's hit pretty hard for reasons. When you see uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, when he takes, takes uh, Anakin back, young Anakin, and they go through the test. Hmm. And they go through the test, and, and Yoda, of course, says that favorite, famous line, you know, the, the much fear I sent in you. And he's like, you know, and then one of the other uh, Jedi's like, sense of loss for his mother. And then he's like, well, I do miss her. He's like, fear of losing her you have. And it's like, you kind of wonder, like, 
was he sensing something, or was that more of he was trying to figure out where the fear was coming from that he was sensing? You know what I mean? And then Anakin was like, "What does that got to do with anything?" You know, the response confirmed what he was thinking, mm -hmm. what he's sensing, and he was just like, "Everything," because fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. And I'm just like, dude, that's like the mantra of going down that path. Really, I mean, if you think about it, especially for Anakin specifically, you know, but I don't want to get too far ahead into the next one because I want to talk about pick that up more when we get to the second movie. But it's interesting how they play with that concept and they talk about it. But then it's like, you know, they basically say, hey, look, you're not training him. We're not going to, he's too old. Because that's what Mace Windu's initial thing is you're too old. He's too old. And Qui-Gon Jinn is like, I will train him. And that's that first sense that you get that they're not all on the same accord anymore. Right. You know, like, he really feels dead set on this. Like, if he has to disobey the council, um, he's still willing to do it to train this boy because he feels like he's the chosen one. Right. And, like, he's willing to overlook the council for that. And I'm like, because then at first, Obi-Wan is just like, Master, can't you see what they see? Why would you even do that? But then by the time you see, you know, basically Obi-Wan granting his master's dying wish, it was, promise me you'll train the boy. He is the chosen one. Promise me. And it's just like, dude, like their loyalty to each other is so rich that then Obi-Wan's willing to defy the council. You know, and it's just like there's that defiance. And I know even when Yoda says, like, you know, much defiance, I said to you, like your master before you. Defiance is not something you need or something. Like basically, like one thing from him you did not need or something like that. And, just, and I love how his loyalty to his master was something he was willing to take with him, even as a, to the grant to die. Because he could have very least have been like, Master, I can't promise that. Like the council's already spoken. I can't promise that for you. But he made a decision to say, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I thought that was just interesting, a show of not only Obi-Wan's character and loyalty, but also kind of the breaks that were starting to happen in the order. Mm -hmm. you know. Well, one of, so I've mentioned before, I'll double down and mention it again. Uh, Qui-Gon's my favorite Jedi. Um, and that's because he had a sense of what he believed was right. Yeah. And he was willing to do what he needed to do, even if the council disagreed and obi-wan straight up says in the movie master if you just did what the council asked you could be on the council right and like luckily clone wars has expanded this uh for me and uh it's something that i didn't think about too much uh until like some of the episodes of clone wars that i watched is um not every Jedi Master that's a part of the Order is on the Council. Right. There's a lot of Jedi Masters that are not on the Council and are just, like, involved in something. Usually they're experts in, like, a field of some kind. Right. Like, I don't remember the name of the one Jedi Master that uh, Ahsoka has to work with, and he's all like, I'm all old. You should slow down and not be so quick. And, uh, and he was great. And he was a Jedi master. Um, and so, like, Qui-Gon is another example of a Jedi master 
that really could have been on the council, but he just disagrees with the council so often that he's not on it. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, that tells me he was willing to do like everything that was necessary for the good of things, even if the council was like, you can't do that. Right. And even said, like, the council was all like, you know, he's too old. You can't train him. And Qui-Gon's all like, well, I'm, I'm gonna. And then they're like, well, you already have a Padawan. That's impossible. And I love they, word, they use the word impossible in that situation. <laughs> it's impossible. You already have a Padawan. And he's all like, oh, he's ready to take the trials. And Obi-Wan's like, oh, yeah, I'm super ready to take the trials. I'm super ready. <laughs> and, you know, then he became a Jedi Knight. And it was all cool and, and all that. But... Um, Pretty unceremoniously, by the way. It all happened off screen. I was really upset about that, but that's whatever. <laughs> Gandhi Tartakovsky kind of gave us a taste of that. Yeah. Right. In the original Clone um, Wars. Yes, the animated Clone Wars. Um, the the Gandhi Tartakovsky one. Yeah. Uh, which is available on Disney Plus. Go watch the whole thing. It's really short. Oh um, my gosh! Yeah, you can you can you can watch the whole thing in like less than a day. Yeah. It's great. Uh, as, as as I've uh read from online uh reviews uh there's only one major criticism from the gendy tartakovsky animated clone wars show and that it's so cool it makes everything else look not cool by comparison (laughs) (laughs) they made the jedi too it made them all too too cool (laughs) mace windu looked Um, even cooler after that series not that he wasn't cool to me already but he was cooler Yes, and also all the other Jedi, but Mace Windu specifically. <laughs> you know, Shock T kind of did some stuff too. Shout out to the to Gruta lovers out there. Shock yeah. T did some awesome stuff. And, and who was the one that was the underwater one? Kit Fisco. Plo-Koo? Kit Fisco. Kit Fisco. Okay. I love. So, real quick, funny. Uh, before on to the next point, uh, there is this great little quote from Ayla Sakura telling Ahsoka. You need to be careful about your feelings for other people. You can't let them uh, be the center of who you are, and you cannot indulge your passions, dear Ahsoka. Because Ahsoka was like, I'm really concerned about my master Anakin. And uh, Elisa Kura was all like, yeah, get, like, look, you just got to keep your passions in check. Hard cut to the comics of a- Jedi Master Elisa Kura and Jedi Master Kit Fisto <laughs> making out. <laughs> Oh, they were both Jedi. Like, great, great job, guys. Great. <laughs> they're, they're masters. They, they they can make out and keep their their emotions oh, in check. Yeah. There is this great panel <laughs> of them both underwater, trying to survive a droid attack. This is this is so clean. They're both underwater. They're trying to survive a droid attack. She's drowning. He comes over. You know, he gives her the kiss of life, and there's just this this box of it. This box of dialogue. And it's the only bit in that entire panel. And it's a big old splash page. And it says, I will be your breath. And I was like, oh! (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't a dry one the whole way. (laughs) Not a dry eye in the house. That man. I was like, dang, Kid Fisto, I'll date you. (laughs) (laughs) Kid Fisto's game was so tight, it was smoother than peanut butter and twice as nice. Twice as nice. Oh, no, we Kit could have Fisto a... rolling up, <laughs> macking on Jedi ladies like he's black dynamite. <laughs> do, do, do. Dynamite. 
Dynamite. Dynamite. <laughs> what did I tell you about bothering Kid Fisto when he's doing his Terrace <laughs> I, yo, that would be. Oh my gosh, that. Oh, no, yo, I gotta cut it off no, right there. We have to. We're gonna fall yep. down a hole if we do this. Yep, <laughs> that's why I'm not going there. <laughs> um, but yeah, Qui Gon. Um, he he showed me uh, as a kid, like this is how a good Jedi does things, and Obi Wan really followed closely to that. But then you know he like. Got on the council or whatever, so I guess he did what they asked from time to time. <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about that later down the line. But yeah. uh, Qui Gon, man, he, he, I, I always really appreciated him. And it, it wasn't until this movie that um, Liam Neeson like came on my radar mm. because he mostly did stuff for older people at that time. Are you telling me that as a 11 as a 10 year old boy you hadn't watched Rob Roy or Dark Man or Dark Man? I'm going to have to I'm going to have to be honest. I didn't. <laughs> one of them's rated R, one of them's PG. Oh no, no, they're both rated R. That's right. Yeah. I was a good boy. I didn't watch rated R movies until I was at least 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, man. And, and I became a fan of Liam Neeson and whenever I see him anywhere, I'm just all like, oh, and then <laughs> occasionally, uh, spoilers for anybody that doesn't know, uh, there is a short cameo of Qui-Gon in Clone Wars mm-hmm. and they got Liam to come back really? and do it. And I was like, this is perfect. I couldn't be happier with this. I'm going to cry a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still waiting for him to show up and just decide to be my dad. Yep. Just waiting wow. for him to just be my dad. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'll tell you what, y'all can have Liam Neeson. I'll take Samuel L. Jackson to be my dad. Even though my dad is still alive, but, you know, Samuel L. Jackson and I can go out on adventures. It'd be great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just wanted to to, to spill my beans on, on Qui-Gon and why I like so, him so much. I, I've got a I've got a thought because uh, the lady who's like a second mama to me, uh, God bless Judy Clark. Uh, she asked a question today while we were watching the movie. She said, "I don't understand why people hated Jar Jar so much." She said, "I feel like Jar Jar." I, she said, "I feel like Jar Jar, you know, was an awesome character, and yeah, George Lucas created it for his kids. But you know what? If you're doing movies, why can't you create something for your kids that they'll love?" She said, I just don't understand why people had a hate for I said, I can understand why a lot of people had a hate toward Jar Jar. And for a long time, I was one of those people. But I've since learned that Jar Jar was a necessary thing for mm-hmm. not just the movie, but for the other movies. Because Jar Jar was part of the council final decision on some other stuff that came up later on. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm going to uh, take this opportunity right now in front of God and the entire listeners of the podcast. Oh, dude. No. To, 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 to oh, man. come clean no. about something. Don't do it. And I hope you guys can, can, can won't be looking at me in a different light. I totally will. After this hard confession. I will. Absolutely. I have never hated Jar Jar. <sighs> okay. No, never. I'm right there with you. I think, one, we were the perfect age for it. So it's like, mm-hmm. it was the, it was a reflection. I mean, if we're going to go with the old, it's poetry, it rhymes. Everyone hated the Ewoks. But you know what? They were cool. And it was just, I also again. I love the Ewoks. Right? Yeah. Wicked. Mm-hmm. W. Warwick was my, like, was my man. But okay. No, <laughs> so Warwick, Warwick Davis has become, like, an icon for me. The actor, 
less so than the characters he plays. But anytime he gets work in some place, I'm like, you you get that work done there, Warwick. But. By the way, fun fact real quick, um, Warwick Davis was in not one, but two, uh, he was not one, but two characters in the pod racing scenes. Uh, He was uh, the friend of Anakin, uh, the young, and I can't think of the name of the race. It was a race of, okay, the Grogu, uh, uh, not Grogu, but uh, Greedo. Uh, Yeah, the Rodian. He was also in the stands with uh, Jabba the Hutt. And so I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. He was in there that much. I, I love that. I thought that was neat. Yeah, he's got a close relationship with Lucasfilm that uh, anytime that there's a, a shorter alien that needs to happen, he's he's been that a lot. He's he's done a lot of stuff for the sequels as well. Right. Yep. Also, I mean, heck, okay. he, his son is as also an Ewok. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, so that, that final scene in... Rise of Skywalker, um, <laughs> when everything's exploding and they have to have that final pan over all the other planets that totally knew that this war was happening. That are all yeah, raising right. their hands to yeah, give, that, that, to give their energy to the heroes. They pass over and the forest moon of Endor. Not Endor, the forest moon, moon of Endor. Endor. <laughs> um, and it shows Wicket and Wicket's son, uh, and, who was played by Warwick and Warwick's son. Yeah, yes. I do remember seeing that in the little documentary they did about uh, about the movie. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Also, Warwick Davis um, still holds the record for most actor for the actor with the most Lego minifigures based on characters they played. So, you know, that's oh, wow. like right, just another nerd cred there. Like, I didn't realize that was a record, but that's yeah. awesome. Well, I was was even going to point out, like, let's not mince words, guys. Warwick Davis has had, let's say, at least one or two roles in every Star Wars film. He's somewhere in the background. He's in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, he was Um, in The Mandalorian in a couple scenes, too, wasn't he? I I can't confirm that. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. I I, I didn't look that up. Crossing my fingers that Willow is going to be good. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I was listening to Jingles doesn't like Willow. I'm not a fan. I need to watch <laughs> it again so that I can actually make a decision on it. But I was too young for it when it came out, and it was too weird for me. <laughs> um, it is kind of weird. <laughs> but uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, by the Yogs cast or a couple of uh, English blokes uh, that on YouTube. And they have a, a gameplay channel that they've done for a long time. Uh, but they also have a podcast that they've done for many, many years. Uh, and the two of them, uh, Lewis and Simon, were talking about this time when um, Simon uh, got to go and meet Warwick Davis at a meetup mm-hmm. uh, and how Lewis was there with him. And, and Simon was very excited because he was old enough to have watched all the movies in theaters Yeah, um, as a young one. Uh, but he was old enough, so he was really excited to get to meet Warwick Davis. Mm-hmm. Um and he said he didn't know what was going on with him that day, mm-hmm. but his like he had like the biggest brain fart and just could not articulate well. No, no. And so like when they and Lewis was there with him, uh, and when they went to go meet him and do a sign up, and like nobody was in line, so it was a perfect opportunity to go and like talk with him for a little bit. Uh, and he was talking about like he just he couldn't say anything, <laughs> and he doesn't know why because he doesn't normally get starstruck. Um, 
And he's all like, I had to have come off as like being differently abled. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> because he was, and, and like, Lewis didn't mean to. Yeah. But the way it was all like, oh, look, it's Warwick Davis. And it's all like, you really like Warwick Davis, don't you? And it's, and it's like, I couldn't do it. I just had to nod and not well, say anything. Warwick. It's all like, you've seen all the movies in theaters, haven't you? And like in front of Warwick oh, Davis. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he couldn't, he just nodded. His friend is coming idiot. off as like his helper. Yeah. His, his, uh, his <laughs> caretaker. It kind of, that kind of reminds me of that uh, moment in the show Community. Where Pierce was like getting everybody gifts as they thought he was dying, and the whole point of it was for him to uh, just basically rip Jeff a new one to torture him about meeting his dad in real life or whatever. But Troy, Troy's biggest thing was he wanted to meet Levar Burton, and so Pierce paid to have Levar Burton come down and like actually, you know, be there. And of course, Troy was just like, I wanted a pic, an autographed picture of LeVar Burton. I never said I wanted to meet LeVar Burton. I can't talk to the man. And so the whole time, like, LeVar Burton is sitting there talking to him, asking him about different roles. What's your favorite role of mine? Is it Roots? Is it Reading Rainbow? Is it Star Trek? And he just can't talk. Like, he just doesn't talk. Like, he looks like he's in stark fear the whole entire time. And then he's crying in a corner at one point, singing the Reading Rainbow song in a room by himself because he can't talk to LeVar Burton as he's trying to like be this fan and then like at the very end like he starts crying I think they're eating something and like uh, he, like like Donald Glover just runs away crying and then LeVar Burton is just like hmm more ribs for Kunta and just grabs the ribs off of his plate and just the thing. I'm just like this is so awesome man it did I, I'm suddenly remembering a like a social media post that the actor that played Jar Jar Binks put out. I'm at best. And it was just talking about, like, there was a point in his life where he, uh, it, it got too dark. And he was about ready to make a final decision on his life. And he ultimately, fortunately, backed out of it. And he found himself on the same bridge that he was making that decision on with his son like most recently and he was just talking about like man I went through all this terrible stuff being Jar Jar and yeah I remember reading I just, about that like, I, like it, it was just a, a horrible dark part of my life uh, and, it was like, uh, and people have been approaching me lately about maybe doing a movie about that and he's like I don't know Maybe, maybe not, but we'll see. The point is, is that uh, he's here and he's holding his son and just looking at the spot that very nearly conquered him. Wow. And that is, that's an incredible story to share because when the question's brought up of why... Why, why did you guys hate Jar Jar so much? And we can come up with an entire list of reasons. Or let's be frank, guys. Excuses as to why at the time Star Wars fans felt justified in absolutely decimating a guy that went on to... that was hired on to play the comedic relief character... Mm -hmm. 
albeit more geared towards a younger audience. Right. And a child actor whose life was irreparably damaged due to our obsession and belief of what we thought, what we believe is right and correct for Star Wars. Mm. Mm-hmm. There, I think it's important to recognize that part of being a fan of something like that. Sure. Because... It's, oh my gosh. Um, I only say this as a joke. It's like poetry because it rhymes. And it has already repeated itself into the sequel trilogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where actors are harassed for their roles, which I'm glad that there's a push, a counter against that from members of the Star Wars community that are trying to not make the same mistake that we made with the prequel actors. Yeah. Well, and I understand, didn't that affect Jake Lloyd a lot too? Like some of the stuff that came out after the fact, like didn't that affect him? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's what he was saying. Yeah. That's what I was alluding to that. Jake Lloyd suffered probably the most out of everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. Like his, there are elements of his life that just fell apart you because know, of Star Wars. I was just thinking right now, mm-hmm. um, how different of an experience it was working for Star Wars, how different it was for Jake Lloyd, and how different it was for the kid that played young Boba Fett mm-hmm. in Attack of the Clones. Right. Yeah, and how that that young man I, whose name escapes me right now. I'll look it up here in a second. Uh, but he fully embraces being Boba Fett mm-hmm. and will go to cons and cosplay as Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. He's like, I am Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. And yeah. he was, that is me. Wasn't he also in the Book of Boba Fett series? Like when they did the scene where you saw the person kneeling at the very end with Boba Fett's head, it wasn't the shadow from the original filming. If Jango I'm not mistaken, Fett. he, Jango, yeah, when Jango was killed by uh, Mace. Uh, but when you see him kneeling at the end, it's the son in the in the recreation of it. Like it, it shows the kid. Yeah, they just reused up. his likeness. Right. Well, yeah, no, I'm saying because they did a transition. I thought from him being young Boba to being old Boba, and it shows the thing in the shadow where the boy becomes a man in that Mandalorian outfit. And so, if I'm not mistaken, he was played that version of, of Boba Fett. In I the think you might Book be. of Mandalorian. I'm fairly certain you're mistaken. Well, I can check. Because it was it was a kid that they had for that. I thought that and was a name... they did a thing. But I, I, hey. No, you're good. You're good. I'll check his, and see. His name is Daniel Logan, by the way. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure to look it up. Because I like, I like giving credit to the actors. And he's 34 years old. And he lives in Auckland, New Zealand. And he's awesome. Just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Tamar Morrison. <laughs> who is probably hanging out. Who is also from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. Um, he clearly had a much better experience uh, getting to be Boba Fett uh, than Jake Lloyd did uh, yeah. getting to be Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. Right. Yeah, yeah, it does. 
it's uh it really just speaks volumes to how nasty a fan base can be because we've made wow he looks great in that outfit young mr logan okay so okay so yeah obviously they used they, they i just read that it was cg that they used to break his face into it but he was given credit yeah. as actually in a cameo so the 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 current version of him was in the show but they used cg to create recreate the face yeah that's what i was saying they okay. just used his likeness gotcha You know, we nerds. Let's not mix words. Let's not mince words. We nerds collectively have are the most loyal people on the planet, mm-hmm. and the most vindictive people mm-hmm. on the planet. <laughs> no, I would agree, and it's, I mean we could. argue a whole psychological deep dive about you know the vindictiveness coming from the gatekeeping of the stuff that wasn't cool and now it is and we have a fierce but misguided you know attack drive but no I mean like obviously I do not condone a thing done to any of the actors or actresses done in Star Wars and it is unfortunate Mm. that some people had a better time and some had their lives ruined there should be a happy medium can it just be an average experience at worst like why and like i know i'm scared for the kid mm-hmm. who's playing young luke you know i don't want to see yeah. history repeat mm-hmm. itself i'm i'm terrified and that i think comes to from like like i was the same age that jake lloyd was when he was in the phantom menace like i didn't know mm-hmm. until i was older about the like the bullying and everything and so it's like now as an adult i'm just like no 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 you don't get, get out of here with your negativity but like mm-hmm. it's it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It kind of is like, it's not going to change. It's not going to go away unless we speak up about it. But we've also got this like hyper aware community too, where like for good and for bad, there's so much information all the time. And it's like, I think part of the reason why like the bullying of Jake Lloyd didn't come out till later is the internet was still a fledgling thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. so only the people that were like intent on doing bad were spreading that like the people that just enjoyed the film casually or as a fan level like we didn't know because the internet wasn't there you know and so now like for better or for worse we can see it in real time and i think that's what happened with the sequel trilogy is there was just these massive collisions of like support and hate that just kind of like hit like you know a volcano in the ocean um and I think we saw it in a lot of ways for the first time just because it was all out. Like, you had no chance, choice but to, like, see the conflict. So I, I'm hoping we've learned better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of us, too, that have grown up with these, we're going to be fiercely protective. And I hope that, you know, that just doesn't become misguided. But I think also now we, we're going to speak up against this stuff because, like, I'm not here to see another kid's life get ruined over something that right. I love. You know? Mm-hmm. Agreed. But also, like, man, they've got to be brave as heck. Can you imagine knowing all that you know and then still being like, yeah, 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 I'm going to be in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Whew. Yeah. And what's funny is that to certain fans, like, I was, <laughs> there's, a, there's a mutual friend that Jingles and I have where we were all talking about The Mandalorian when it was first coming out. And we were just talking about how much fun we were having with it, and I I threw the I threw the hypothetical out for my friend. 
Like, even if it was a bad situation, man, do you think you would still... And you, If there was a casting call for an extra in the background who just gets shot and then the camera cuts away from in a bad Star Wars experience, either a movie, TV show, whatever, and it, it was still a bad, uh, bad Star Wars piece of media, would you still jump on that? And he was said, without hesitating. Wow. Without even thinking about it, I would, ju- I, even if I knew it was going to be bad, I would jump on that as quick as I can because at the end of the day, we all just love Star Wars. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's that, and it's interesting. I mean, that's the weird part about it, but I mean, it, it does register. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think you made a really good point, Catherine, with how we've got to remain vigilant to not allow history to repeat right. itself with another unfortunate kid. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is that, um, and I hope that this ends up becoming a bigger attitude throughout the greater Star Wars fandom is that there's this attitude in the prequel fandom where there's this reappreciation mm-hmm. for all of this stuff. And there is there is definitely this spirit of regret and a desire for recovery over these issues because I've seen plenty of posts of people saying that talking about like, uh, you know what? We really should have treated the actor for Jar Jar Binks better. We really should have treated Jake Lloyd better. And it's unfortunate that we, we as a fandom collective didn't do that. Well, and it's real interesting, too, when you think about, like, for example, even uh, you look at, for example, Hayden Christensen kind of dealt with that a little bit until he started mm-hmm. doing stuff outside oh, yeah. of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you think about actors and actresses who have uh, who have worked on I mean, Carrie Fisher talked about where she went through a bunch of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Harrison Ford, you know, at the time was a no-name actor at that point, really. I mean, he was out there. I mean, Mark Hamill, the thing about Star Wars I love, that I appreciate about Star Wars, they tend to do a lot more to take on really, I don't know if I say no-name actors, but actors who haven't really, may not have done a whole lot prior right. to that franchise. Mm-hmm. And so they're willing to take it if they feel like they can play the part well. And so I appreciate that. Whereas a series like, for example, uh, Star Trek may not do that so easily. Mm-hmm. You know, not to start that war, because that's well, not no, what no, we're no. trying to do. It's but a, just the idea, yeah. Yeah, and it's a creative decision, too, especially when you know that Star Wars has the global phenomenon. Not, And again, not to say that Star Trek doesn't. But you want someone fresh that is only that character they're not oh doesn't isn't that somebody else from something and so you notice that like the big cameos are relegated to arguably more background roles so there's still enough star power in the star wars movies but yeah like the the main players were no names because they wanted them to just be those characters mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's it's interesting because even when it's positive just to kind of sidetrack for a hot second like even when it's a positive experience like say daniel radcliffe playing harry potter like he still had to do a lot and he did some wonderfully weird stuff to try and like get himself <laughs> off that mantle what was the being... dead what was the character to be the dead guy oh the, where... the bloated Swiss corpse. army man yeah yeah 
Oh you know, my god. He did, he did Equus right away as well. And so just to get, uh, mm-hmm. you know, right away. You don't away. talk about Equus. You talk about Equus a little bit. Let's talk right away. Let's just go into it, right? Um, and I, you know, and he still had like worldwide support, and he wanted to do anything to get away from that. And that's an interesting, yeah. I think that's something we should take. I, I think, too, also, if you look generationally, we are getting to a better mental health point. And, you know, mm. you know, again, not to do a generational war or anything, but just to say, like, millennials are more pro-mental health than, say, boomers, just because I think we've had... I mean, you look at the media that we're making now, and it is it is more about, mm. like, generational trauma, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like, we, mm-hmm. we know that, like, there were things that were done in our childhoods that are not okay now, and now we want to heal mm. those for ourselves, for our nieces and nephews, for our own kids, you know, just just to, to kind of move forward. And so I'm hoping, too, that there is that kind of, like, we know that they were just actors and they were children, you know? Yeah. Like, I, and again, it's it's something I think too that you could look back and analyze this. Like, why did the Star Wars bullying even happen? You look at like you know mm-hmm. celebrity worship and obsession. You look at paparazzi. You look at again the state of the mental health. You look at what was going on in the world. Like there was a lot going on in the early thousands. And yeah, sure, it, not to excuse it, but it's easier to fight about Star Wars than it is to look at like kind of the start of the end of our world as we know it. You know, and it doesn't excuse it, but, you know, it, it's not like it just exists like, oh, we were mean to Star Wars people. It, it It's a reflection on a lot of the things that were going on, and I'm hoping yeah. that we are healing, or at least moving yeah. forward in these And things. at the same time, you look at stuff like even, well, speaking about that, you talk about stuff like even with Kelly, Kelly Marie Tran, mm-hmm. and kind of the a level of hate that she got, and it's just like, come on, dude, like, she's playing mm-hmm. a role, like, if... You don't like that character, that's fine, but why are we sitting there getting on the internet to the point where she's just like, I'm not going to have social media for a while because this is getting ridiculous. You know, like, I just don't have time to respond to this much hate anymore. You know? It's like, there shouldn't be that much hate for it at the beginning. It's just like, look, if you don't like the character, that's fine. There's a whole bunch of characters you can love and not have to like her. I mean, I personally didn't feel like they treated Finn well because oh my goodness, no. primarily of the whole, you know, oh, we got to go to Asia. If we go to Asia, they're not going to watch a movie if Finn's, the main, Finn's right. one of your main protagonists sharing the spotlight with Ray. Right. So we got to bump him down a bit. We got to move, we got to, uh, we've got to put him down on mid-card level because we keep him hey, up brother. on this. Yes. Allegedly. Yeah, they, they dunked on everyone except for Ray, pretty much. Yeah. Like, everyone... Like, it's fascinating how much, like, Kelly Marie Tran, John Boyega... um, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. uh, Oscar Isaac. So many different... Like, when these people signed on for the first movie, they were assured of certain Mm storylines. Right from the Mm get-go. And as the trilogy that had no overarching guidance continued on they got they just played it by ear and like you said like like oh the market over here uh doesn't what like would feel uncomfortable if finn was uh sharing uh sharing a co-lead with ray which by the way in the original scripts and templates and outlines ray and finn were going to carry the trilogy in tandem right 
and even by the end they were originally conceived as a romantic item at the end which made perfect sense to me because of how obsessed finn was getting uh, With how obsessed his character Ray was Ray. getting to be of ray yeah. and ray was always concerned about finn right and and oscar isaac was there <laughs> oh mm. that was a whole different track blessed right. blessed blessed mr knight himself Oh, oh yeah, Knight, guys! The first episode of Moon Knight's really good. It's pretty good. It's Everybody should watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, but, I mean, going uh, back to this though, I think the, the yes. biggest problem is like when you look at Star Wars and all of this, we shouldn't have known any of this. Even if they didn't have a plan for mm-hmm. the this prequel, or sorry, the sequel trilogy, even if there was stuff going on behind the scenes, if this had happened in the '80s, we wouldn't know. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of the problem exactly. too. Is one. People can hate on the prequels because we already know how the characters need to end up. So people already have this idea of how they're supposed to be or where they're going to be. And so I think that's where a lot of, like, the pressure to be Anakin came into. We know who he comes into. And, like, Vader's one of the most beloved villains of all time. You know, and so then with the with the sequel trilogy, we shouldn't have known any of this. It should have been the first fresh breath that Star Wars could have taken in a long time. But instead, Agreed. all of this was way too publicized. And I... I know you can't separate, um, you know, individual acts against some of the actresses and actors, but a lot of it came from just people being frustrated with the way that this was going, the way that Disney had bought out one of our beloved franchises, and there was just yep. capitalist existentialism in there. And, you know, I think people don't know how to separate, <laughs> and then it becomes, sure, let's attack this character, which I do not condone, do not, you know, but we shouldn't have known any of this and i think the i think these would have Agreed. been differently received if we didn't know about the market in asia if we didn't know about these plans if they had just come out because guess what that's how star wars originally just came out and you just got what you got yeah <laughs> remember back in the day when episode four came out and nobody even knew if it was going to take off as episode four <laughs> like back when it first came out like there wasn't a plan to do sequels like it was literally based off a bet between him and spielberg mm-hmm. Because it was Close Encounters of the Third Kind versus Star Wars. Whichever one made the most money, uh, the other one would become the executive producer for, like, the entirety of this stuff. So, like, yeah. You know, neither one really lost a bet, but it's just kind of like I'm sitting there going, like, bro, like, to make a movie Mm. that you didn't know was going to be this big of a giant in merchandising and production and all these things, it's just crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think in, in some ways no, it's I, better that I you think, didn't know. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think you make a really good point, Catherine, about the oversaturation of information that people have access to at all times. But that's there's no stopping it. There's yeah. the, the internet is is everywhere now. And it's it's bred this idea of needing to sort of outmaneuver what a film is or what it's going to be. You're right. You're right. And we had too much information. And, but we also had this obsession mm-hmm. with needing to know more about the production and the making of the sausage without even caring about whether or not it's even going to be good on the grill. (laughs) And by the time we end up serving up that hot dog and you end up giving it out to somebody, somebody has already made up their opinion about it. And 
they've all not only have they already made their opinion about it but they've made their opinion about it based on someone else who may or may not have eaten the hot dog at the end of the day right or in some cases would never eat the or at some point would never eat the hot dog anyway just get on twitter and complain about the hot dog and then you got 100 people complaining about the hot dog on twitter but they would never eat it to begin with yeah that's what i was alluding to Sorry, I don't mean to spoil your things. I'm just thinking all that stuff you're saying. <laughs> no, it's okay. We were just, just trying to be subtle. No, it's fine. It's fine. No, I that in a weird way, it's I I I don't mind uh, Will reiterating what I'm saying because it's just letting me know that he got what I'm saying. He understood he what you were talking. Understand what I was saying. That's good. Or at least where I was going with it. It reminds right. me of uh, the masterpiece of the film Pootie Tang. Oh gosh. <laughs> when, oh gosh! When they're when they're hanging out, um, and, and, and it's hot too. It's all like, oh, it's so hot out, man. Boy, it's hot. Yeah, it's hot out too. Yeah, it's hot, man. That limo's so big; it's got its own sky. <laughs> yeah, and it's big too. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm worried, and I think like it's just some, somewhere along the lines, things that were considered niche approaches to something or insider terms became pushed out into the greater culture rather than just sitting where they were because people wanted to get more people invested in it. It's kind of like how look I don't claim to be an expert at wrestling but I know what a work and a shoot is and that's because there's it's so easy to access that information mm-hmm. that you can end up learning again how the sausage is made without even needing to do that deep of a dive into it and from there you can just end up making your own opinions about it imagine if the prequel trilogy came out today and we heard about and we and the internet caught wind of Jar Jar Binks before the film even came out. Mm. I I worry that the situation would have been even worse. Oh yeah. And which is which is really 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 too bad because we get so obsessed with how the sausage was made mm-hmm. that we would completely ignore that in the third act we got one of the best Star Wars songs of all time mm-hmm. in Duel of Fates. Mm-hmm. But oh. how would you know that without actually just trying to make an opinion of, for Brilliant. yourself? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something. When I saw that moment, when I heard the song in that moment in the Obi-Wan trailer, I cried mm-hmm. a little bit. Oh, I'll yeah. be honest. I was just like, whoa, it's back, baby. <laughs> yeah. Because we know we're going to be seeing at least a second round between now Darth Vader versus mm-hmm. Obi-Wan. And it's like, oh, that's going to be so baller when it happens. Oh. Can Hold I, on, we can don't we don't about... know that they're gonna do that. But, <laughs> can I talk uh, about music? Catherine, please. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I, no, just sorry. really quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it off to you, Catherine. I just want to I just want to let, for the record, to show that because I looked up a whole bunch of reactions to that trailer. Mm. Everyone pops off on Duel of Fates. Oh, yeah. Literally everyone. Everyone pops off. Okay, go ahead, Catherine. So interestingly enough, because we're talking about Vader here, so the Duel of the Fates mm-hmm. song was originally because of. 
So Lucas did have a plan. He had done four, five, six, mm-hmm. and he was going to do one, two, three. He knew that story. And so mm-hmm. when he was working with John Williams on the music for one, two, and three, Duel of the Fates actually was not billed uh, for that big Qui-Gon Maul Obi-Wan battle. Um, and in fact, oh. it was kind of more along the lines of like, once it was written, he was like, well, you know what, that might be kind of cool to bring for when, when Obi-Wan and Vader fight. But ultimately, he wrote, John, he had John Williams write a different song because that song didn't have the same emotional weight as it did for Obi-Wan and Maul and, uh, and Qui-Gon. So it is interesting kind of going meta with the Star Wars, where originally that song kind of was for Vader and Obi-Wan. But it's mm-hmm. it's not the so it, but it was too not not too tragic but it was it had a different weight but now like we've gone through this the prequel trilogy and we have all of these feels and everything too and now Duel of the Fates has in universe and you know in our world it has a different kind of nostalgia and a different kind of tragedy to it so I would love mm, to see yeah. it come full circle and be used yeah. in the Obi Wan show with with Anakin and Vader. So that's just kind of an interesting, like nod behind the scenes that it was kind of originally built for them. And now it's going to come full circle, but no, it's such a beautiful song. Um, The vocals, I don't know if anyone's ever taken a super deep dive. (laughs) Um, I have not, but go for it. Yeah. Okay. So the, the vocals are done in Sanskrit and the, the, what the choir is singing is actually based on a Welsh battle poem. Um, as a kid, I always thought it was just like excellent nonsense, but you know, that's, that's, that's <laughs> kid, like, that sounds spooky. I like it. You know, I can buy yeah, it. That's my favorite stuff. Excellent <laughs> right. nonsense. Right? But it's actually based on a, a Welsh poem and roughly translated. Now, of course, John Williams took some very artistic liberties. I do not claim to speak Sanskrit either, but he went for more of a syllabic uh, you know, reinterpretation. Gotcha. But if you look back at the original lyrics, um, there's like three voices in this battle poem. One is the sword in hand, the two is the shield in battle, and the three is the string on a harp. And so you've actually got like three protagonists in this battle poem. And then to be like, whoa, there were three, pro- you know, like there were three characters in yeah. Duel of Fates. It's like, ah, meta chills, ah. you know, right? <laughs> and it goes back to that, just kind of that, like that allegory of the painting and then when you look back and look at the ingredients in the paint there's symbolic whatever there but it, mm. it it's cool too to just see not only like i'm so glad jo- that uh, john williams is coming back for this because it shows mm. that this is really being taken seriously um because it feels again like it belongs in the star wars universe and i'm glad that all of the external Star Wars stuff that we've gotten, the TV shows like Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, have had core Star Wars players like at the helm, you know, like behind the mm-hmm. scenes. And so again, not that I had any doubt with Vader, I mean, sorry, with Obi-Wan, um, but knowing again that, that, that John Williams is returning because that is so important to the character arcs of Obi-Wan and of Vader is just that like that musical accompaniment. Like you can't have a story without just having your heart broken by the London Symphony Orchestra, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you make such a you make such a great point. And by the way, thank you for bringing up Sanskrit and, and everything else with that. As you're describing it, I'm all like, uh, oh, man, here we go with the dead languages. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> the Oh, I, I love hearing about dead languages, uh, but I think you make such a really good point about 
how they had like squeezing a duel of fates making it feel on a meta level thematically more appropriate to episode three's battle of heroes which did anybody else notice battle of heroes in the trailer I did. Yes, because it went from I, Duel 2 to Battle of Heroes, and that was just like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it even kicked off with, like, with a few notes where it went, dun, 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 with Battle of Heroes just being really quiet at first, kicking to the vocals with Duel of Fates where everybody screams. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's it's still it actually goes back into Battle of Heroes again, and it's big and powerful and sweeping. Now that you mention it, I would uh, I I see what you mean about Duel of Fates because Duel of Fates is big, operatic, and epic, but Battle of Heroes it it's still ve- it's still a very powerful, large sound, but there's something mournful and intimate about it too. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that and idea of sense we'll of loss. We'll get to that in episode three. <laughs> yeah, and, and that whole thing of loss, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have that moment where Obi-Wan is, and I know we're talking about it kind of out season, it doesn't matter. Uh, but um, the whole yeah. idea of him losing a brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that he considers Anakin like a brother. Like, he didn't, he never, like, you never he really feel like he him. considered him like a chore. <laughs> You know, that's just that's just beautiful in and of itself that he went from yeah. that to that and then kind of yeah. So definitely something of interest. Definitely something we'll continue to get into on that. Uh, I do want to kind of take it back a little bit to the movie because one other point I want to make. Uh, boy, were they alluding to so much foreshadowing, so much stuff in this film mm-hmm. because when you see, for example, Anakin says, "You know, will I ever see you again?" to his mother, mm-hmm. and she says, "What does your heart tell you?" Yeah. He's like, I hope so. I mean, yes. yeah, I'll see you again. Yes. Yeah. And then she's like, then you will see me again. And of course, yeah. knowing how that happens, it's just like, oh, that's so heartbreaking. Like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh. You know, but yeah, it, it's that whole thing of, you know, the foreshadowing that I talked about, like when he was in space and he kept talking about how cold he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how he just missed everything, and then uh, the whole see, and, the, uh, and that almost makes me a little annoyed because that right there shows me that there was some good stuff there, mm-hmm. some really good stuff there in the prequel trilogy, right. like that part when Anakin comes back from the Bunta Classic and he's all like, "Look how much money we got," and then Qui Gon says, "You know, that breaks the news that." Anakin free. is free now, right. and it does. And Anakin doesn't register in his brain that Anakin is free, mm-hmm. not, not his, his mother. mother. But right. he, but he's all like, "Oh wow, no way!" But the camera lingers on Shmi, mm-hmm. and you see her. She knows. Change her expression from "I'm happy that we just won this money" to "They get." I. I actually got a little bit choked up rewatching it, just watching the actress nail the switch from oh my gosh. I'm going to have to say goodbye to my son now. Yeah. And her and, saying, like, my place is here. Right. You know, your mm-hmm. place is somewhere else. And then when mm-hmm. that, that thing, another thing I loved was when he gets ready to walk away, she says, honey, go chase your dreams. You don't mm-hmm. have to come back right, here. Like, don't look back. 
Don't look back. Yeah. And I'm going, dude, say that mm. one more time for the folks in the back because he needed mm. to hear that. But he really didn't hear it because in his yeah. heart, I'm going to, because he didn't just say I'm going to come back. He said, I'm going to come back and free you. Yes. Specifically, yeah. I'm going to come back and free you. So it's a big yeah. setup for this crazy thing. And I'm just like, dude, they did so much foreshadowing that I didn't see right. we didn't how they were doing it, it right. then. Mm-hmm. You know, but now going back now, I'm just like, dude, there's so much foreshadowing in this. But, yeah. And I think, too, just, you know, kind of to take the feels trip here, like, it's hard enough, you know, kind of to skip to the original trilogy, it's hard enough to watch Luke leave his aunt and uncle behind and, you know, kind of see immediately, like, this tragedy. Like, he goes from zero to 60 on just like, whoa, people are dying, I'm losing my mentor, I I just met you, I guess your planet blew up, like, whoa, what is this? Whereas, like, Anakin, he's nine years old. He's a child. And, but then the Mm -hmm. wild thing is, too, if you think about it with the whole, like, oh, too old to be in the Jedi training, in a lot of ways, we, we deal with this in a lot of, like, external Star Wars media, but most often, because Qui-Gon even says, like, had you were born inside Republic space, we would have identified him sooner. Like, the Jedi know that they have to, in, in their distortion of all of this, take the children away from their parents before they have time to form attachments. So we've got this right. kid who actually cares about his mother. He's on this dirt bowl of a planet where he watches corruption and cheating all the time. He still cares. That's one of his greatest mm-hmm. strengths, is that he has... He still cares about people. He still cares about people. Yeah. Even Shmi says that. She's like, he always thinks about others before himself. Like, we have nothing. He knows what it's like to have nothing, and he still gives. And I think mm-hmm. Qui-Gon arguably sees that in Anakin, and I think that's why he is so set on this chosen one thing, not just because of the midichlorians, not just because of the reflexes, but he sees that there is genuine, like, empathy there genuine empathy and so it is interesting that and i do not blame obi-wan i love obi-wan but it's interesting because Mm -hmm. i think the general theme of episode one is how quickly these characters are ripped from what they know and put into different positions qui-gon had his whole life to figure this out who he was with the council during arguably the golden age of the jedi but obi-wan had to grow up too fast and then anakin Mm -hmm. had to grow up too fast and now they're Mm -hmm. brothers they are not mentor and student not really they are not father and son where it's you know there's a very father and son relationship with Qui-Gon. And I think that's why Shmi trusts Qui-Gon so yeah. inherently. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But with Obi-Wan, he was not, he might have been ready for the Jedi trials, but he was not ready for Anakin. He, he was not right. ready for yeah. Anakin. He was not worldly yeah. enough. He was not experienced enough. And he changes just about everything who he thinks he is, you know, on his master's dying wish and his new responsibility mm-hmm. and kind of the realization that the Sith are back. But you watch Obi-Wan, he was just as impatient. Like, you watch him froth at the bit during the uh, the, the duel. Dark where, Wall fight, you, yeah. You know, Qui-Gon sits and meditates, and Obi-Wan the whole time is just anxious he is he's totally frothing at the bit he has to then switch and change right after all of this and i think he's trying to emulate qui-gon to the point where he doesn't know who he is either and and i could could get really deep into the like the psychology of that and but it, it reminds me a lot of just you know growing up being like the gifted kid who was also neurodivergent, who was also like the military brat that just changed to meet the scenario. And you don't know who you are. You do not know who you are other than who you are at that point in the scenario to how you can serve others. And so like with with Obi-Wan, I, I empathize a lot with that just rapid, rapid change. And he was so out of his depths with Anakin, especially with Anakin fulfilling this giant galactic prophecy that he mm-hmm. didn't have a chance to truly mourn or develop into a master of his own. All of a sudden, bam, Anakin. 
you know, which wasn't mm-hmm. fair to Anakin. And then look at everything Anakin had to go through. But he lost what made him special, I think, kind of in yeah. that duel of the fates. Yeah. yeah so. And I, no, I, that's that's pretty accurate. And even to the point where when he looks up and he says he notices that Qui-Gon Jinn is a Jedi. He says, why? He says, why? How do you know? He said, I saw your laser sword in your belt. And he was like, well, how do you know I didn't kill a Jedi to take it? He says, oh, nothing can kill a Jedi. <laughs> Boy, that wasn't foreshadowing for anything at all. You know, but Actually, it's just like... I love, I, I was telling Jingles, I was like, that is such, that is such a cool thing to say nonchalantly. <laughs> I don't know, kid. Maybe I killed a Jedi and I took it from him. Yeah, <laughs> and then that kid to be all like, "Okay, yeah, you killed a Jedi." Oh, <laughs> uh, whatever, man. They're invincible. Everybody knows that. Everybody like, knows that. Like he would, he would rather believe he was a Jedi than to believe that he could have killed a Jedi and took it. Mm-hmm. Like there go, because that speaks to that optimism that Catherine was speaking mm-hmm. on that, that childlike optimism, but also that idea of seeing the best in people, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he saw somebody. He saw Qui Gon Jinn was like, "This guy could be a Jedi." Not just because, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just really cool to see that and then kind of see what happens to Anakin as time goes on, how things change, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's beautiful the way episode one really kind of layered stuff into the storytelling that would come out into the later movies as well. Mm-hmm. But Obi-Wan, I mean, yeah, Obi-Wan, when you see him, I mean, you're right in a lot of regards, Catherine. There is this point where it's dumped on him. Like, he just has to do it. Like, it's not really something he chose. It was something no. that was chosen for him. I mean, like, yeah, his first words on Anakin are, you know, I, I sense we've picked up another pathetic life form. Like, you know, it, it speaks to sibling rivalry. It speaks to, you know, being burdened with responsibility. But, yeah, it's just he he didn't ask for this. But he's, mm-hmm. what choice does he have? What, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anakin didn't need a brother. He needed a father. A father. And yeah. my father right. could have been quite gone. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. When you said burdened with this, I honestly was hoping you were going to say burdened with glorious purpose. With glorious purpose, right? No, no. just, just angst and uh, responsibility. Glorious purpose. <laughs> I am a god, you foul creature, and I will not be. Bu- <laughs> Did you guys know that Loki is really popular? <laughs> yeah, no. I heard. Uh-huh. Did you guys know? Did you guys know? <laughs> but, uh, look, man, just look at it. But I look, think we can yeah. all agree Jake Lloyd's Hutties is bad. Uh, Musha Shaka Paka. No. <laughs> That's so Chesco <laughs> That kid's bilingual. I'm not bilingual, so I can't give any flack. Yeah, but his accent's off. His accent is <laughs> terrible. It doesn't take that much effort to go, uh, Jonah Wanga. Don't I, oh, whoopee, oh, whoopee. <laughs> and that's there. I was like, oh, seven whoopee, whoopee? All right, hang on, hang on. Hold on I think I what is that whoopee. in real money? <laughs> Apparently, Literally seven whoopee, whoopee, according to Literally thousands of credits. Yeah. <laughs> That's a uh, running gag in uh, Catherine's streams. <laughs> Literally uh. thousands of credits. We have much debated the running economy of, of Star Wars, but yes, there's yeah. been some bad dialogue <laughs> choices that have uh, <laughs> spawned. 
it, it comes from her playing uh, KOTOR 1 yeah. when uh, uh, Davik's talking about his sweet ship that sweet he bought, ship. the Ebon Hawk. Uh-huh. And it's a super cool ship, and everybody should be super impressed. And it's all like, it costs literally thousands of credits. <laughs> and so now, whenever we get, like, yeah. just any amount any of credits, amount. we're yeah, like, yeah. thousands of credits. Literally thousands of credits. Literally thousands of credits. Wow. <laughs> and he had 20,000 20, Republic Dataris on him. Yeah. But those ain't good out there. No, he needs something more real. You need you need some Hatties Whoopie Whoopie. Yeah, which apparently like seven Whoopie Whoopies is kind of a lot. Yeah, that's for crazy. whatever that hanging thing was. Yeah, <laughs> that's like exotic or whatever. Yeah. I mean, as a that's kid, why when I was reading on Wikipedia. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. having that many like I don't know puppets and practical effects where it's like look Star Wars creatures in a market. Like I was like obsessed with that market scene just because it was like look new species. Look that's a frog thing. Whoa that's so cool. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah no that's mm-hmm. price of admission. The seven whoopie whoopie were worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of like things hanging in like markets and stuff, I'm confused. Are we supposed to eat salacious crumb or not? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm getting I'm getting like. Information that, <laughs> like, he's for eating, but I'm also getting information that his species is intelligent, and you maybe shouldn't eat those guys. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> because I keep seeing, like, the running joke I see often is, like, one of him in, like, a shop somewhere. And they're like, hey, you, you hungry? Eat a salacious crumb. Whatever his species is, look, I, I could look it up right now. What you need to do mm-hmm. is that you need to do a jumping forward spin with your lightsaber out let all the sprites catch in the air mm-hmm. and then you hit salacious crumb into a collectible and that way he can <laughs> run away going <laughs> yep oh, thank wow. you super star thank wars. you super star wars right. I, if i'm not mistaken without looking it up i believe he's a kawakaian monkey lizard again inconsistent monkey uh, lizard. vowel pronunciation i've only ever read it i don't think i've actually heard it spoken mm-hmm. aloud so, Kawakane, Kawakane. Catherine is too Kawakane. strong. For funsies, I will just... Yeah. Catherine Unless is growing far it, too powerful. Like, watch, watch Dave Filoni prove me wrong, but I would bow to uh, yes. his, his power. Salacious so. B. Crumb. B. Oh, yeah, Benedict. right. His no, middle name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. A Kawakian monkey lizard. Oh, my goodness. She really called like that from half court. <laughs> Look. <laughs> There's a reason why I was she all like, we're going to talk Star court. Wars. We need Catherine here. <laughs> she stood at half court and said, cow cow and monkey lizard. <laughs> she pulled it. She, she, she went half court and pulled a Steph Curry and was just like shot from nowhere. Oh, by the way, and I'm blindfolded. So I'm just yeah. going to drop this and do it and be done. It's, yeah. it's nice. Also, to... so let... oh, go I was going to just say, uh, <laughs> Salacious Crumb is easily the most uh, like... Uh, dark crystal thing in Star Wars. I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. It's so dark crystal. It's weird. It's so weird. Oh, you know, I don't think thing? I've ever like put that two and two together. No, I was just about to say, like, in all the in all the love and all the jest, like, it is so good to just have an arena to just I don't know, yeet these random facts. Because let me tell you, my friends are like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, Catherine, we get it. You know Star Wars. I'm like, but you don't understand. <laughs> exactly. That's the part. Where we like, yes, we're I'm sitting here, we're going like, you know, Terrace Kasi is a deadly R. We're like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. 
It was invented as a way for non-force users to fight force users. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and then it was just, we thought it was going to be forever relegated to the EU, but... Oh man, Solo was all like, "Hey, we should bring that back." And what's what's funny is that when we were watching episode one, mm-hmm. and there's that first little scuffle with Maul, Jingles literally turned to me and he said, "Yeah, you see, because they're out in the open, form three is really good right here. Form four. Well, the form, form four, four is really good right here because Qui Gon has enough." space to move so he's got like the advantage whereas later he won't because it's a tight confined space and i didn't challenge him on that (laughs) not because i don't know it's because i'm sitting there i'm all like you're so right that's the explanation that's why that's why maul was able to get the upper hand is because qui-gon couldn't fully utilize (laughs) form four ataru (laughs) to because it uses a lot of flippies and dippies <laughs> and that's how effective it is in combat but he couldn't utilize it because it was such a small space inside that area right the Ooh. other well-known practitioner of form four ataru yeah. is none other than jedi master yoda <laughs> who can utilize form four to its fullest regardless of where he is because he's so small <laughs> Yeah, this is real. <laughs> I got a question. Facts. I, yes. I got, a, I got a question too, uh, because if I remember correctly, I read somewhere that part of the reason why they did the double-ended lightsaber, besides just the fact that it looked cool, uh, was because <laughs> of the fact that Ray Park's special discipline in martial arts that he was doing, what he was doing at the time had to do with bow staff fighting. Mm. So, hence part of the reason why they created the uh, dual-ended lightsaber was to complement that particular style. I uh, I cannot uh, confirm or deny that that's not something that I've heard, but it's something that sounds correct. Right. So, well, and in, uh, no, go ahead. In universe too, if you want just some more tragedy sprinkled on your um, on your Obi Wan Sunday here, um, to also to, <laughs> even though. Um, uh, you know, Qui-Gon says that Obi-Wan's ready for the trials, and obviously he goes on to pass them with flying colors. There was still a lot of teaching that Obi-Wan, like, had left to do, and I remember, I'm pretty sure it was in one of the novelizations, um, tragically, because it was so rare to face opponents with a double-bladed lightsaber, Obi-Wan had not yet, like, taken training up against that course, and so there's this argument that if he had been a little bit more prepared, he might have had a better chance with Maul and making it all that more tragic that his master kind of leaves him in this predicament where he's prepared, but not truly, like, and you can never truly be, there will always be another class, there will always be another thing to learn, and that's when Mm Obi-Wan, like, really just kind of hits that, like, oh my gosh, like, the stakes are high. Like, we haven't seen a Sith in millennia, and now what, the one course I didn't take is the one he's going to fight us with? Like, that's life, man. The one thing that's, like, your weakest thing life is going to find and just shove that knife up in there. But, you know, that just really adds to this, again, kind of pile of Obi-Wan tragedy where he's just doing his dang best. He was a good student. He was, you know, he was good to his master. Like, they did good stuff, but he just still wasn't prepared because you can never truly be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and obviously the big thing that that goes along with that as well um, is is more or less what you said in that um, because the Jedi haven't had to deal with a Sith in such a long time, they haven't had to really fight other Force users with lightsabers in a long time. So presumably the training, their training was more know how to deflect 
blaster bolts than anything else. And so don't really worry too much about fighting another Force-sensitive lightsaber user uh, until Darth Maul finally we will reveal ourselves to the, to the Jedi, to the galaxy. Finally, we'll have finally, our revenge. We'll finally have our revenge. Um, and so that was then an opportunity for... Now they're like, okay, well, now we're going to have to really get into it. And I believe the only... Um, there was only a few Jedi Masters that were like really like deep into like saber combat as like their discipline. Most of them were just like, well, get good enough to pretty much just deflect any blaster bolt that you need to. Um, and obviously, obvious, I say obviously as if like this is a known fact for literally everyone. Um, the, the, the person that was considered the best at like lightsaber combat was Jedi Master Sin Drawling, um, who we don't see really that much in the movies, but he's he's in a lot of supplemental stuff. Yeah. And uh, uh, actually, in the Revenge of the Sith video game, shout-outs to that, we will play that eventually, nice. there is a mission where you, as Darth Vader, Anakin, um, when you're uh, storming the temple and killing Jedi, you have to face off against Jedi Master Syndrawling. Um named after um and his his name is a uh, reversed version of the guy that kind of developed the saber combat for the movies and taught everybody the saber combat yeah, the stunt coordinator the stunt oh, coordinator nice. uh nick gillard mm -hmm. um and so he is jedi master syndrawling and so in the game, you have to fight him and you you kill him, therefore showing that Anakin is the better combatant in this now. Uh, but, yeah, it was a little little fact that as after the, the Sith show themselves, I assume more of the, the Masters and the Jedi started getting more training on defending themselves from other Force-sensitive lightsaber users uh, and not just Hey, just get good at deflecting blaster bolts. Right. You'll be fine. You know? Which, yes. oh my goodness, that my brain's just absolutely flooded with, like, just kind of uh, a dissection of the, the whole military techniques for in Attack of the Clones, because just to kind of, I don't know, back the DVD of it, it's interesting that then the Jedi were all of a sudden scrambling within themselves to, you know, fight, kind of be prepared for the Sith, for other Force users. But, like, nobody kind of ever figured out that they, during Attack of the Clones that they were fighting droids, which, like, ion weapons would have been so much more effective against and wouldn't have hurt civilians, that they just kept fighting with what they, like, the the army of the Republic just kept using regular blasters. And you can kind of see that even, like, among military strategists and professionals, like, everyone's so just scrambled because this is all, like, there's been no war. There's been no Sith. There's been no, and then you're just dumped into the middle of this to where, like, you don't even know what you're doing anymore. And you're just kind of grasping at straws. And if anybody mm -hmm. had been able to kind of take a step back, you know, like, the Jedi, yeah, like you said earlier, they had specialized. You know, they had, you know, they weren't. They were peep keepers of the peace, not soldiers. All of a sudden, they have to be soldiers, too. They're not thinking objectively and strategically other than one battle at a time. And that's something like in life, when you just get so stuck in the situation, you're not, you know, you can't see the forest through the trees. And I think that's kind of ultimately what undoes a lot of stuff and allows, you know, Palpatine to pull the strings so easily as everyone's just in so much chaos. 
Well, and they also yeah. reveal in this first movie that there is something clouding the judgment of the Jedi. There's something that's keeping them from being able to use the Force fully right. in order to figure out what's mm-hmm. going on. So that becomes a problem that continues to go through the movies as well because they're not seeing things like they should. They're no. not able to make the best decisions because there's something that's clouding their judgment. And can you imagine you being know? aware of that? <laughs> like, mm. that, it's such a unique... It, this instance where you're aware of the fact that you're not at your best so therefore you've got the weight of that can like constantly on your back you're going to question every yeah. single judgment you make because you know that you're probably supposed to be making a different decision like that right there can lead to madness one would argue never mind then keeping your head through an entire like insurrection you know mm-hmm. and that that also comes into play because it the the movies kind of make it clear that um the the force isn't always clear like regardless yeah. like it, it you you won't always get like a perfect image from the force sometimes some visions are more clear than others yeah but for the most part you kind of more or less just get like a feeling in a direction and so them being all like well the future is not very clear right now they'll probably attribute that to just the force being funky and not so much like there's some sort of dark force blocking us from seeing what we need to see right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which, to them, because they're like, well, the Sith are, are gone, There's, there shouldn't be anything blocking us, so maybe the force is just being dumb. Right. Uh, that's another part of the, oh, the Jedi arrogance mm-hmm. being there, and uh, them just being all like, ah, it's, it's not a big deal, it's whatever. Let's, we don't need to worry about it, you know? Yeah. We're the Jedi, what, what, what could happen? Right. Right. We're, we're getting possibly, what could possibly go wrong you know and you know it's like they're getting it in what 480 and, or 420 and so 480 instead of 1080 and they're like whatever we're still getting the signal man like don't question us we're still getting it you know right, but, exactly <laughs> I can make out the shapes right, right. I can make out the shapes <laughs> by the way another thing I wanted to say I appreciate about episode 1 is how much um, play that Natalie Portman's character getting who I believe she was like 16, I think, when she was doing this role, which I didn't realize she was that young. So. Yeah, I didn't realize she was that young when she was playing it. I forgot that like her first big role was in a professional when she was like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. So, like, to see that and then be like, she was 16 doing that that's crazy. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like when she's playing the decoy. And when they've got the understanding that the decoys are the people that follow the queen and not actually the queen herself. Because they're seeing, they keep seeing these different women who aren't the queen. But in their minds, because they look like the queen, that's who the queen is. And then all these other people are her protectors. Not understanding that Padme, as she refers to herself for the longest time, is actually the queen. And so, like, there's points where, like, for example, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn says... Well, the queen trusts me to make this decision. So you should trust me too. And she's all like, oh, you assume too much. Mm-hmm. Like, not understanding that she knows she's the queen. But no. the deception is that, that I love that. And then, like, for example, when she finally does reveal it, it's when they're in the Gungan forest. And she's like, I have to reveal I'm the queen. I'm Queen Amidala. Um, this is my decoy. And I had to do this to keep myself safe because I'm in danger. But I beg of you to help us. Or I ask you to help us. No, actually, I'm begging you to help us. And so she, she gets out on her knees. And then they all get... And Jar Jar, who should have been the first person to understand the diplomacy of Gungans? 
totally freaks out. It's like, oh, wait, knees. <laughs> I love that. I just thought that was so funny that he's the last one to kneel. Like, he says, oh, okay, yeah, we're kneeling. We're doing this. Okay, sure, let's go. And so then that's when Boss Nass is all like, oh, you should not think of you so bigger than the Gungans. Maybe me so wrong about you. Maybe we shall be friends. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool that it was just, it was an act of diplomacy, which I think is interesting too because Qui-Gon specifically, to me, shows moments where he's being diplomatic even though he lets you know he doesn't agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, for example, when, when old boy comes up and he's like, the queen would ask that you would take your take her maiden with you. He's like, no more requests from the queen. And then she's no more no more commands from the queen. He's like, well, she would request that you would take her with you. She's curious about the people, and so it's kind of this idea that that that, that well, with the guardian to the queen himself, who knows the queen is going with them. It's just like, let me change up my tactics because this Jedi is like, hold up, nah. Nah, dude, we ain't, no, we ain't taking nobody else. What's up with this? Like, no, why is the queen telling me, like, if y'all trusted me to make these decisions prior, why are you now sitting there telling me this is what I need to do? Like, I'm under your rule in the first place. Like, I'm trying to work with y'all, but come on. And so then he changes gears. It's kind of like, well, she would wish that you would take her. Here's why she's asking you to take her. And then he's like, okay, I'll take her, but it's going to be dangerous. Stay close to me. And so it's just kind of an idea. So like when they're they're bantering with each other and how she is literally like, just like, we really shouldn't do this. We're putting our faith and trust in a boy. And, you know, then she's just like, you know, and it's just constant that this thing. And then when you realize that's what it was, I'm sure like Qui-Gon Jinn is sitting there going, I was with the queen the whole time, didn't even realize it. Huh. Well, you know, also speaking of like Jedi arrogance and stuff too, like there is, there's a huge part of me, especially like, you know, me as a little girl, I was like, she freaking outsmarted. She played everyone. Like a 14 yep. year old queen was like, yeah, Master Jedi, you didn't, you didn't even know. Like I got right. this, me and my girls, we got this, you know? And it, it also kind of starts to set up, yeah, again, you know, we've got the kind of ominous things like, oh, clouded the future is, but it's also like just right there with the political manipulation. Like if Qui-Gon working with Padme couldn't see that, you know, she was switching places with, with all of them, with Corday, with Sabe, with all of them, like how how should we be surprised that, you know, Sheev was just like pulling the strings, you know, behind all of that. It's It's obvious to us as outsiders, but, you know, a master Jedi couldn't see that right in front of him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I love that. I thought it was really neat <laughs> how they played scene. that whole idea. Uh, but uh, that then also just uh, and, and I really don't understand. Like now, like as I'm older, watching going back and watching it again, um, the age difference between Padme and um, and Anakin. Cause like a lot of people, like I jokingly said while we were watching it with me and my mom, I was just like, uh, my, my Kentucky mama, I was just like, uh, is Padme grooming Anakin? Is that what's happening? Like she's just like, no, that's not what's going on at all. Thank you for your uh, your common cultural thing. Shut up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, they knew with me it was a joke that I was even saying it, but it was just like it's like. Um, because some, because people looking at this movie would go back at, go back to now and say, oh, well, here she was, like, 14 or 15 years old, grooming this 8-year-old, you know, to eventually be a love interest and all this other stuff. How how toxic is Padme? 
It's like, is it really that? that like, it's not really all that complicated, y'all. Like, you know, how many years was it between? It just because I don't know the answer to the question, so I'm asking it. How many years was it between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones? Ten. Ten years. Ten years. So, eight years old. So by the time we see that again, Anakin's yeah. at least or nine. So Anakin's nineteen by this point. Right. And so, like, there's no grooming. Like, it, it's he saw a girl. He thought she looked like an angel when he was nine. <laughs> sorry, or, um, hey, I, I have to interject. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Okay, so when Little Sprout was watching the movie with me, um, in the end, the jubilation dress, the beautiful white dress with the big. Flag, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, she turns mm-hmm. to me and she's like, "Mommy, she really does look like an angel." And I'm like, "Yeah, Annie." <laughs> <laughs> so you know what it, it hit with the target audience so I was like oh Aww. baby <laughs> like ah there it is That's so just cool. like I, that she's I, in I, I didn't even think about that she really I didn't even think about I didn't even think about that until you said it. I was like she does right? huh. she does look like an angel <laughs> wait until you see what Clone Wars actually shows what angels look like true oh dear I'm gonna look them up. They're from the moons of Diego, I think. Huh. But yeah, it's 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 really cool to see that. And then of course the whole Jar Jar basically rolling nets when he's on battle damage. <laughs> even though he has no idea what he's doing. Like he's just literally going through and just rolling nets when he's all oh, over yeah. the place. It's like, oh, I'm gonna climb up this thing because these creatures are, these these big old huge tanks are coming after us. Oh, let me knock down these big old balls and we'll kill these things. Automatically, they're all just having bouncing up and taking up a whole bunch of them. And then, you know, he's like, he gets the little droid trapped on his foot. And he's dancing around as he's shooting him. And then he's kind of trying to aim, but I'm like, man, that would be coordinated to aim all those oh, shots with the arms. I'm like, he's nat twenty and all over the place. Like, uh, this is crazy. But yeah, uh, that goes. And then of course, another one of my favorite scenes is when Darth Maul first shows up. And then you see Qui-Gon Jinn say, we'll take care of this. And Padme immediately turns around. We'll go out the back. <laughs> this ain't our fight right here, y'all. We're going this way. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with this dude. We're going over here. <laughs> I love that. I'm just like, yeah, they realized right there. Like, there was a whole other land of fight. Definitely, this is cool. a, not what I get paid to do. Like, this is not mm. my job. <laughs> it's out of my weight class. This is out of my pace ride. Whatever you want to call it. Yo, I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm not doing that. Uh-uh. This is how I survive another day. Peace. That's it. <laughs> Which, interestingly... um, Yeah, go ahead. I mean, like, I live to fight another day. I'm out of here. Um, I know that there was a, a novel and some comics where uh, uh, several of her handmaidens um, investigated Padme's death because they're like, um, no, what do you mean? She just she just died? She just died? Like, have you met her? Like, that is, like, rule number one yeah. is, like, no. And so it is interesting. And again, yeah. that's, you know, picking threads uh, beyond the initial paint. But it's like, yeah, she she. She know she knew how to survive. She knew how to get herself out of a lot of tricky stuff, and I loved that they gave her character development in the Clone Wars because she mm. felt so flat. Like she felt great in Episode One. I really loved um, Padme's portrayal in Episode One. I know Two and mm-hmm. Three are a little uh, they're a little bumpy, but mm-hmm. character wise, she's really freaking cool. Like, and I'm glad that they gave her a chance to shine. So, yeah, I just appreciate the fact that Carrie uh, Fisher. Whatever they were doing, the roast of George Lucas had to comment on the fact that her mother 
uh, and that that her mother in this movie got to change clothes like every fourteen, like fourteen different times <laughs> a movie, and then here she was sitting there in the same outfit for the majority of the movie till she got caught by Jabba the Hutt and was in a bikini. And then she was like, and on top of that, George told me that the reason why I couldn't wear a bra was because I don't have underwear in space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like, there you go, Carrie Fisher. You get them. You get them all day. But, Man, uh, what a yeah. wacky story. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely so. Nothing to, do with, uh, nothing to do with Obi-Wan in and of itself, but hey. It's a fun thing. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, what a wacky story the Phantom Menace is. <laughs> and all of Star Wars. And all of Star Wars. It's so wacky. And all of Star Wars. It's great. I love it. But, uh, but of course, by the end of the film, we, we get to see, you know, Obi-Wan look at Anakin. And Anakin says, what's going to happen to me now? And Because you got to imagine that would be crazy. Like, okay, so this guy who is going to train me is dead. We're literally watching, like, we're burning this dude for whatever the reason. I guess that's a Jedi tradition that's not inspired by the Vikings at all. Uh, (laughs) No. Right, uh, because cremation, nobody else has ever done cremation ever except for... The, a I'm bunch saying, of other cultures on the planet. Oh, I'm yeah, you're speaking, right. I'm speaking in terms of the specific setup where they're all around. Most cremations aren't done where everybody's sitting around doing it. Most cremations are done where they're in, like, crematoriums mm. and stuff like that. They're in machines where people are just there, and then you see the little onk or little whatever that so, the death is in. Do you think people in Scandinavia still do open pyre funerals then? I don't know. I'm not in Scandinavia. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just saying, like That's I don't know what they still do. Also, I wasn't on a boat, so That's true. I'm actually typing it open pyre funerals. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Or which cultures did open pyre funerals? You gotta launch uh, them out into space and then shoot a, a space arrow and then light their space boat yeah. on fire. Space arrow! <laughs> <laughs> You know, that that has a space fire that survives in space. Just, you know what? If Star Wars can have era. sound in the vacuum of space, we can find a way mm-hmm. to put fire. Like space we can fire. Are blaster bolts not just space fire? Right. If not, are, we, are blaster bolts not just space fire? Or if you do not cut us, do we not bleed? But anyway, what I was going to say was, he's going through this whole thing where he's like, what's going to happen to me? And then, you know, Obi-Wan, of course, tells him, I'm going to train you. You know, you're going to become a Jedi. And it's such a heartwarming thing. And then, of course, Mace and Yoda are sitting there talking about the, uh, the rule of two. You know, because Yoda's basically advising of the two, no more, no less. There's always, you know, two. And they kind of do that pan. And you start off and they stop for a brief second with Anakin. Mm-hmm. And then they keep on rolling and then they go to Palpatine. That's like, dude, that was such a slick, like, camera thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because when I first saw it back in the day, I didn't recognize this. It's like, oh, they're pointing out that Palpatine, that, 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 that now the Chancellor is Palpatine. But it's like, it didn't dawn on me that they were already doing the so foreboding. Right? Yeah. Anakin and Palpatine are right here. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to take a line from the great Will Holland, that's not foreshadowing at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved how they did that. I thought that was really cool. And then, you know, of course, you got the big celebration scene. And, uh, 
you know, and then they get the big. What was that ball that they handed off? By the way, I'm just curious. Cool. I have no clue. It is cool. It, it was. Is, it's a cool <laughs> ball. <laughs> cool. It was, I mean, it's I'm a cool sure ball of yes. celebratory. Blah blah. You know, there's there's lore. No. I can guarantee you, but it's cool. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought that was the perfect answer. We're gonna stick with that. It's a cool peace ball. Uh, just you really, give it for peace. Really and love that. What was that ball? It was cool. cool. That's what it was. <laughs> and then, of course, Jar Jar. Then, of course, Jar Jar trying to get off the little the creature that he's on. And of course, he gets his foot caught up in the saddle. And then Boss Nash just Boss Nash just jumps down like with the greatest of ease and like just lands. And then he's all like, you know, please, you know, and it's like, you know, and it's like, oh, cheers, you know. And of course, we see Anakin with the now Padawan haircut. Oh, so cute. After, of course, Yoda finally says, fine, you can trade them, basically. <laughs> I love it, though, and I, remember, I have a very fond, like, intense memory of when Palpatine is passing Anakin in the in the getup, and he's like, oh, and Skywalker, I will watch your career with great interest, right? Mm -hmm. Great line. But my dad, mm -hmm. we were watching it, just next to us goes, ha! Like, just, like, calls it out in front of me, but I'm like, I had no idea. And so, like, every time that line plays, my dad's just like, ha! Like, I see what you did there. I'm like, thanks. You spoiled it for me. I didn't even know you spoiled it, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just a geek speak. And, that's you know, him. That's the guy. That's the guy. That's the dude. <laughs> that's the dude. Yeah. <laughs> or even, like, for example, like, having Padme look back at a young Anakin, you know, as he's in the suit outfit, he kind of smiles at her, and she kind of smiles at him. And it's funny because I think my Kentucky mom looked at it. There was a moment, you know how she had her lips painted. And she goes, is she biting her lip? And I was like, no, I think that's just the makeup in a way, the makeup physician. And she's kind of like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like it, like, it wouldn't be, it would just be weird if she were biting her lip at that moment. Right. I was like, not really. You know, but I mean, at that moment, yeah, probably it wouldn't be a thing because that would just be two kids basically kind of having a really good deep friendship. By the way, by the way, Gungan bass, that Gungan drumline, man, it's pretty incredible stuff. Actually, yes. When are we gonna? When are we gonna get the movie Drumline? But it's Gungans, though. Oh, look, look, they're playing in a drumline. That's a reference to the movie Drumline. I wasn't even making that reference, but sure, that's fine. No, that I'm, I'm pretending to make a leap in logic. I am not serious at all about this. Look, look. What did we point out last night, bro? We did point out something. There was like one that was all like, uh, "Hey, look! This, the, look! There's a shot of the moon. That's a reference to Moon Knight." Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I was playing Wolfenstein. Yeah, you were playing Wolfenstein. And there was oh, a wow. part where I run into a big old goofy, uh, oversized key on yeah, the yeah. ground, and I'm all like, "Oh, look! That's a reference to uh, the Kingdom Hearts because it's a key. Because it's, it's a key." A key. Oh wow. Oh, and now goodness, I'm going to take a picture of that, make it my thumbnail, put it right in the center of the screen, but take a red circle and circle the corner. They're like, oh, <laughs> uh, Easter eggs. Easter, all Easter eggs and hidden meanings. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'll get 100 million clicks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Secret uh, Easter eggs and Wolfenstein to Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, what a crazy time. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I so. love this movie. So, I just say, overall, you, you guys yeah. enjoyed it. 
and enjoyed it for how any other observations about obi-wan we want to talk about oh man we were talking about obi-wan that's right <laughs> heck i was just thinking i was just whenever qui-gon's on screen that's all i can think about look man to be honest he was a smaller player in this one he was kind of a smaller player in this one it was mostly about qui-gon and anakin this was definitely the setup uh, movie for 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 obi-wan this is the yeah, beginning. Obi-Wan, I feel like, really goes much harder in the next two This movies. is definitely the beginning of the push, though, for Obi-Wan. Yes. He's, he's definitely... They're starting to push. Um, they, haven't, they haven't really given him much of uh, anyone to feud with at the moment. But, you know, they're, uh, they're trying the best there. Yeah, he's... Um, he's he's got to be there, but, but I think that's the thing that's really cool and interesting. Um... I think it's interesting too. I know uh, Catherine was talking a little bit about the um, the fight and s- fights and stuff. One thing I thought was interesting was there was an interview about from Ewan McGregor. He was talking about how I think he got hurt or something like that during some of the training stuff, just from the initial stuff when in, in that first movie. And he was talking about how he hadn't really done a whole lot of fight training in for movies before that film, and so. Like, he kept whacking himself in the arms with the saber. <laughs> like he, would keep, he would keep hurting himself. He'd just be like, ow, that really, you know. It's like, and he thought, he's like, I thought I would get tougher. And I thought I'd just start growing calluses on my arms. The problem is, every time I hit myself in the arm, it'd be in a different location. <laughs> so he n- could never have calluses form in the right places. And he would just be have sore arms constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, he definitely, he he did an interview, and he was talking about how uh, one of the things that he really wished George Lucas would have uh, eventually included uh, would be cross guards for the lightsabers because mm-hmm. the, they would always slide down the blade and whack each other in the fingers and hands mm-hmm. like all the time while filming. And it was a pain. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, but uh, I got a question in lieu to Obi-Wan, the series, and I just want your thoughts on it. Uh, do you think we'll get a mall fight? No. 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 Okay. And I'll tell you why. Um, there's been leaks that suggest that is not happening. Okay, fair enough. I mean, we already had it, too. Well, yeah, I know, but you know, in the comics and stuff, like, Maul comes back. Like, he ends up getting the spider <laughs> yeah. legs and all that stuff, and doesn't he end up, get, yeah. doesn't he end up coming back in Clone Wars, too? Who, who wants to tell him? Uh, um, he needs to experience it, because it's... Oh. Okay, oh, that's tr- fair enough. All right. So, in other All words, right. there's stuff that's gonna happen that I need to watch the Clone Wars for. I'll shut up yes. now. <laughs> and Rebels. And, and Rebels. Rebels. Oh, and Rebels. Okay. And Rebels and Clone Wars and all sorts of stuff. You know, just all 4,000 pieces of existing Star Wars canonical literature. You know, nothing big. And, uh, yeah, and it's if not you can a lot. help it, uh, the Thrawn trilogy and... Um, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and play KOTORs 1 and 2 and and get all of the expansions for uh, the, the Old Republic. And if you can help it, all the Republic Commando books. Uh, and the game. And the game. And the game. Play Star Wars Bounty Hunter... And, uh, oh, you know what? Uh, Death Troopers, for good measure. Yeah, you know what? Just read Death Troopers. <laughs> wow. Read the Revan book. I, I already told uh, Catherine uh, to, to read the Revan book when they're done with playing uh, KOTOR. Mm-hmm. I am excited. Like the live stream, it's, it's going to be her reading the book. 
like yeah. out loud. I wish. I mean, one, it's such a complicated copyright thing to read books out loud on stream, mm-hmm. but I like wish it was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Star Wars Book Club. Star Wars Book Club. Star Wars Book Club? Star Wars Book Club. We will see. <laughs> we could discuss um, the book. We just can't read stuff from it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Will? Do you think we, uh, I you think think we've, we got we've covered, it today? We've, we've definitely covered a lot of stuff on The Phantom Menace. I think uh, next week we'll come back and do The Clone Wars. Uh, unless Attack some of the Clones. Other, Attack, Attack of the, of the Clones. Clones. I don't know why I said Yeah, Attack of the Clones, yeah. Unless I was going to say, uh, I don't Wars, think you're ready, bro. So ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The clones, clones are in there, so, you know. But, uh, no, I was going to say, unless some other major thing pops off like this past weekend, which I'm not going to get into just because I'm tired of hearing about it and really just not going to say it. So, you know, anyway. Uh, I I hope that you all enjoyed this. Uh, I hope that it kind of helps you. For those who haven't watched the Star Wars movie and need a little bit of help on who Obi-Wan is before you get into the series on Disney+. Plus, uh, you know, I, hope it, I hope this helps a little bit. I hope this kind of sparks conversation where you can get in and kind of engage with other people about who Obi-Wan is in the movies at least. Like I said, I know there's a lot of stuff out there. I believe he's had a few series in the comics at least. They'll do Marvel Land by the IDW. So there's plenty of stuff out there to get your Obi-Wan fix on if you want to get your Obi-Wan fix on before the series starts in May. So anyway, uh, first of all, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on and, and really expounding on the Star Wars lore with us. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, too. I mean, really, truly, this is a blast. So Yeah. And then, of course... Well, uh, let's see what happens in the next one. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, yeah, and, of course oh. yeah, I was just going to say, without the Rasco Bros, of course... Uh, we wouldn't have the opportunity to get to know Catherine because I would have never met her without them. So thanks to you guys as well for your oh, uh, your input and your advisement and your uh, all-around awesomeness. Yeah. I was going to have uh, Catherine go ahead and plug your stuff there. All right. Well, yeah, I'm... I am Catherine Everything, uh, mostly on Twitch, YouTube, and Instagram, but I, uh, I lurk around the internet if anybody wants to come yell at Star Wars stuff with me. I'll yell Star Wars stuff. Yeah, Star Wars stuff. <laughs> Kenobi. Kenobi. I just need, I just need like a ten-minute scene in the series where Dax just shows back up for some reason randomly. <laughs> Hello, my good friend Ben. It's wonderful to see you again. How'd that war go? Are you feeling all right? Everything well with you? Well, Dex. Oh, Dexter. Know, De- oh, Dex. I thought I said that. Obi-Wan. 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 I really wish Dexter you didn't feel bad. Jeez. That's kind of sucky, but I hope that you can watch the kid. It'll be great. If you need any help, let me know. I can feed you. I can do that at least. <laughs> we can have conversation, share coffee and dreams together. It'll be wonderful. I just, I love that dude. That dude's so cool. I think I would Dex cry is great, and we'll talk about yeah. him next week. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he, that's his movie. Yeah, that's <laughs> old and busted. <laughs> he just—he's just running around with those uh, forearms, man. It has a little uh, taco truck type thing, and 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 um in he's just sitting. He's just got a smaller shop. He says, "Yeah, they ran me out of the restaurant, Obi Wan, but I'm here on the side road selling." Whatever kind of alien goods I can sell. You need something to eat there. That, that is, that is, a, that is a wonderfully bad 
exposition. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But it works for the joke. It, it does work for the joke. <laughs> uh, Obi-Wan, I'm here. This is what happened to me. Obi-Wan, it's me, your favorite guy. It's me. Your ma- <laughs> He's voiced completely differently. <laughs> Obi-Wan, it's me, your, your favorite guy, Dex. <laughs> it's me, it's Dexter. Remember? You remember that? Remember Remember the remember the, 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 the dart? The dart that you gave me? Oh, man. <laughs> and I was all like, the only care about symbols. It's Camino. Yeah. It's the little ridges that give it away. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Sorry. I wanted to say, uh, also, before we wrap up, uh, I quote episode one a lot. Yes. Uh, and you might hear that, even if it has nothing to do with Star Wars, I will still quote it a lot. And I, I found, while we were watching it, we were able to quote a lot of it before it happened. Um, but I also found that I was quoting uh, this YouTube poop whose name I, I cannot <laughs> say out loud because it's got kind of a vulgar title. But I'm going to post it in the chat. And I highly encourage you guys to watch it sometime. Uh, but uh, it, it's I can't, not, I can't watch this movie and not think about it. So um, it, it's, uh, I, I either quote the movie proper or I quote the YouTube poop itself. Uh, I can't help myself, but um, yeah, this was a lot of fun, and I was glad that we were able to do it, and I'm really excited to continue to do so. So, Catherine, we hope you'll be able to join us uh, to speak about Attack of the Clones. That'd be amazing. And such. So, everybody listen. First of all, thank you again for listening to another fun-filled episode of Conversations About Dot, Dot, Dot. My name is Will. I'm on with Catherine Everything and the wonderful Rascal Bros. And I uh, couldn't... I couldn't enjoy it more. If I wasn't having more fun in my life right now, I'd pass pass out and be done with life. Uh, this is definitely fun. So I thank you guys for listening more above all else. Thank you for sharing and getting it out there into the world and everything else. And above all else, guys, do me a favor. Be blessed. Be blessed to somebody, guys. Take care.